And we are on air for Fan for Racing Radio. This is Monday night, May the 8th, and we are doing our NASCAR race review for Kansas Speedway. Uh, joining me for tonight's show is our co-host for tonight, and that's Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, thank you, Sharon. Uh, the temperatures were hot there in Kansas. They were a little bit hotter under the collar for some drivers, and y'all want to stay tuned through the whole session of Hot Topics, because those are going to get covered here tonight. <laughs> oh, yes, indeed. Okay, but in our first half hour, we are going to start with the latest short track news. There's some uh, uh, stuff going on there as well. And then we're going to review the Arkham and Art Series race at Kansas Speedway. We'll also include the Arca East and Arca West series updates as well. In the next half hour, we'll comment on the media interview with Grant Infinger. He was the uh, NASCAR Truck Series winner, and he drives the number 23 Chevrolet for GMS Racing. Afterward, we'll review the NASCAR Truck Series race at Kansas. That's the race that Infinger won. And in our third half hour, we're going to update the Xfinity Series. They did not race this past weekend, but we'll make sure you know when their next race is. And then we'll review the NASCAR Cup Series race at Kansas, and there's a lot to talk about there. Uh, We're going to end our episode with uh, exactly what Jay was talking about, our Hot Topic sound-off conversation with the Fan for Racing crew. And uh, it's always a lot of fun and very interesting. So uh, stay tuned uh, for that during uh, the last part of our show. Okay, uh, Jay, let's go ahead and get started with the short track news. We'll start with the news at Racing America. Uh, actually, Lynch races to the Midwest Truck Series win at Madison. Uh, he's from Palos Park, Illinois, and he led wire to wire to pick up a win in the 36-lap main event for the Midwest Truck Series. So uh, good news for James Lynch. Yeah, I always like to see new winners and these names that are up and coming. And this is where you get to know them is at these short tracks. Uh, Can't say enough about the opportunity we have to learn about them through platform Racing America here. Mm -hmm. Also, Garber seeks more success at Stateline Speedway for the uh, Northwest Super Late Model Series. And then Corliss. Now, these goes are back some of those. I... I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say Corliss goes back to front for the ACT win at Thunder Road this weekend. So another race winner there. These are ones that you get the opportunity. I wish I was a little bit closer to the Carolinas to the east. I know that's where a lot of these races are run, but that race hub, if you will, around the Carolinas. Um, to see some of these super or, uh, late model races. I know we got some coming to the uh, Alabama area, but if you can get out to one of these races, I highly recommend it. Okay. Now, Dan Fredrickson took the checkered flag at the race uh, for the ASA Joe Shear Classic at Madison International uh, Speedway. Uh, it was the second event of the ASA Stars uh, national tour season. However, Fredrickson was disqualified for a carburetor spacer 
above the maximum limit allowed per the series rule book. So instead, Ty Majeski was declared the winner of the Joe Shear Classic 200 out at Madison International Speedway. Uh, so that stuff happens all over the country. <laughs> well, in this one, I think there's several interest, interesting storylines under this. You mentioned Majeski now getting the win had finished on the podium anyway in the first two races. He's going to try and run for that championship as well as the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series championship. Mm-hmm. Um, so that plays a big part in it. The, the victory, you know, as I think he tweeted, uh, nobody wants to win that way, but he's been on the other end of losing a race in different manners. So he, he's going to take it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, we wish him the best in his uh, – uh, efforts to do that, uh, to go after that championship in both the truck series, which, by the way, he's leading those points right now, and in the ASA Stars Tour. Uh, moving over to Racing America under the news tab, um, it says uh, Short Track Super Series ready for the bullring battle at Accord Speedway. Uh, and uh, let's see. Tuesday, May 9th, that's tomorrow night. The rain date is going to be Wednesday night, May the 10th. Bob Hilbert, Sportswear Short Track Super Series, fueled by Sunoco, will invade the Gary Palmer's Accord Speedway for the 10th running of the Battle of the Bull Ring. So this sounds like a good one if you're looking for some midweek racing. Well, and being that it's a hometown track name here as well, any track that includes the name Bullring, you know you're <laughs> going to see some bumping and some pushing and some great racing action. Without a doubt. Okay, some other news, and this includes some NASCAR drivers. Uh, Ross Chastain and Daniel Suarez are going to enter the CARS Tour event at North Wilkesboro. That's the midweek event that's going to take place prior to the All-Star Race. So uh, kind of cool to see two more names added to that entry list. <clears throat> and we've seen Ross Jastain, uh, I think a couple weeks ago uh, when we were at Dover, he was at a dirt track. Uh, this is a, Daniel Suarez doesn't do a whole lot of stepping outside. I know when they interviewed him on, that, uh, on Race Hub about it, um, it wasn't that he was against it, just the opportunity. He now has that opportunity. We've seen what Trackhouse is building. I think this just adds to their legacy already of what they're doing. Uh, going to be quite interesting. The whole week and program around North Wilkesboro is just off the charts. Yes, it is. So it, it's really cool. Uh, to see everything that is happening at North Wilkesboro. A lot of people didn't think it was ever going to happen again. And yet here we are talking about a race and an all-star race at that uh, happening out at North Wilkesboro. Okay, another news story here. Parker Price Miller and McCandless Racing have mutually parted ways just three races into that Tazel's All-Star Circuit of Championships uh, point season. Uh, so they uh, mutually agreed to part ways, uh, and uh, now they're looking for a new driver if anybody's looking for a ride. Well, I don't think uh, I don't think Mike's on here yet, is he? No. Um, <laughs> this is one of those of, you know, you, you, you hate to see it, but sometimes it works best for both parties. As it says, it, it was a mutual decision. 
whatever the reason, things just aren't clicking, the results aren't there. We're going to cover this in some other stories later on when we hit the uh, truck series um, where it appears to have worked all the way around. So we'll see how this pans out. Do look forward to who they put in as the new driver, though. Well, if McCandless doesn't work out for Mike, there's another opening uh, as Buddy Copoid and CMS Racing Sprint Car Teams also part race part ways um, after this weekend's race out at Eldora Speedway. Uh, just months into the first full-time sprint car season together, uh, they're parting ways uh, in an announcement that was made Sunday evening following the weekend of racing out at Eldora. So uh, uh, you can see that CMS Racing is looking for a new driver as well. And there's several of these that uh, from the outside looking in, even as a, a broadcaster, you may not fully understand or get the full story even if you ask the question. So um, that one kind of baffled me a little bit. But, again, don't know the whole story. And if they don't want us to, we won't. But you just got to watch and see what happens. I think both sides come back on their wheels. I was going to say on their feet, but land back on their wheels. Oh, okay. Uh, that works. Okay. Uh, let's end this on a, a positive note here at Flow Racing. Uh, Derek Griffith wins the PASS Super Late Model Battle at Thunder Road Speed Bowl. So that's in Bar, Vermont. Uh, as part of their reimagined opening weekend for the 64th season of Star Car Racing at Thunder Road International Speed Bowl. So the all, the Pro All-Stars Series, that's what PASS stands for, um, uh, is back in action, and Derek Griffith came out on top. And that is one we've seen that name bounce around even at the Truck Series level or Xfinity Series and uh, ARCA. I think you're going to see more and more of, and this just proves why. You start seeing him in victory lane, more and more at these short tracks. Look at Josh Berry, where he's at and headed to. Talk about that as well. But Derek Griffith is a name you're going to come to know quite regularly. Yes, indeed. And looking uh, at uh, short track scene here in our last uh, four minutes, uh, there's a lot of stories over here that will go more in depth. Uh, about a lot of these stories that we've already brought up. Uh, but one that kind of hit me is the ASA Stars has a Joe Shear Classic looking like a snowball derby. Snowball derby is a huge uh, national series race uh, where drivers from all over the country show up. And uh, it's, it's, from what I understand, it's one of the hardest races to win. Uh, but one of the most satisfying when when a driver is able to pull off a win. So if the Joe Shear Classic is starting to look like the Snowball Derby, uh, that's good news for um, Madison, Wisconsin. Anything you want to add to that, Jay? Did we lose Jay? I did lose Jay. Okay, are you back? I did. I didn't get lost, but I found my way back. Uh, how about that? Um, <laughs> yeah, as as you hit on that of of the uh, Joe Shear Classic, uh, obviously for the mid to north or Midwest and northern states of Minnesota, Wisconsin, that area, it is a huge race. It has become. I don't know if I'd quite call it 
a snowball derby because that's a nationwide one. But you're right, it is approaching that, and we've seen that with some of the names that not just Wisconsin or Minnesota or Michigan natives, some other names that have started popping up and more people keeping an eye on that race than we've seen in years past. So it's building, I'll tell you that. Yes, indeed. Some other names that uh, NASCAR fans will recognize, Doug Colby and uh, Tommy Baldwin win the NASCAR Touring Series race at uh, Monadnock. I never pronounced that right. (laughs) I'll just go with how you pronounced it, because I don't know that I would either. I know who knows, and that's uh, Andy. Andy knows how to pronounce that because he's uh, pronounced it for me before. Uh, but really cool to see Whelan Modified. That's a NASCAR Whelan Modified Tour uh, event uh, that Doug Kobe and uh, Tommy Baldwin uh, were able to win. Peyton Sellers also sweeps uh, the Twin 75 out at South Boston Speedway. So another name that's going to be familiar as with man, I know as he was moving up the ch- charts, it's one of those, not sure what uh, happened with his Xfinity ride, but it shows the driving talent and going back and winning races. Uh, that's how you get your name back up there. That's exactly right. Okay, Jay, let's go ahead and move over to the Arkham Menard Series. They had a big race this weekend out at Kansas Speedway, and Jesse Love, uh, came out the winner for his second consecutive victory, um, this time in the Dawn 150 at Kansas Speedway this weekend. So uh, if you missed that race, you saw the future of NASCAR in full display uh, in Saturday afternoon's uh, Dawn 150. Uh, and Jesse Love and Taylor Gray entertained the crowd with a thrilling battle that actually saw both drivers exchanged for the lead for most of the afternoon, Love uh, emerged victorious over Gray. Teammate Dean Thompson for his second straight Arkham Menard Series victory um, uh, for Venturini Motorsports uh, and fifth across the ARCA platform in 2023. So uh, Dean Thompson is racing uh, with Venturini Motorsports this year, and uh, he and Jesse Love made it a one-two day, I think, out there at uh, Kansas this weekend. And to take nothing away from what Jesse Love does, the headline of saying it dominated, he led, uh, and this one doesn't tell me how many laps. I know he led a lot of it, but you mentioned the battle between the two of them. There were a couple others mixed in there, and there at the end, Taylor Gray finished in third was also only six-tenths behind that front two. And Connor Mozak uh, was on the move as well there for Joe Gibbs Racing, ended up in the fourth spot. That's right. Uh, Now, this was a little bit of redemption for Venturini Motorsports because last year a dominant run by Corey Hyman, the same car that Love was driving on Saturday, was derailed after he and Drew Dollar crashed while battling for the lead on a restart. That resulted in the eventual Arkham Menard Series champion, Nick Sanchez, earning one of his three victories during that 2022 season. So it was good to see uh, Jesse Love bring that car back for Venturini Motorsports and, and bring home that win. 
Well, and I'm sure Venturini is very happy. I know he was very upset with that uh, defeat, if you will, uh, last year. I remember seeing his interview on that. So I'm sure, especially to have the one-two finish you mentioned, um, certainly does help erase that pain of previous defeats. It does indeed. Uh, let's go ahead and go down the uh, complete results for the Dawn 150. We mentioned uh, Jesse Love. We'll go from the top down, Jay. Uh, Jesse Love and Dean Thompson, Taylor Gray coming in third, and you mentioned Connor Mosack. So let's pick it up uh, from fifth place to tenth. All right, and there you had another good battle, especially in those closing laps. Uh, this is one you want to go back and watch. If you didn't already see it, you want to go back and catch it. Jack Wood coming home in the fifth spot. Andres Perez de Lara came home sixth with Rev Racing. Seventh, Cody Coughlin making that uh, a couple of starts this year. I believe this was the first of several he has scheduled. Your points leader coming in had some hiccups and some issues. Uh, if I recall correctly, his water bottle spilled and got onto the ignition and caused it to short out or hit the kill switch. They got it fixed, uh, got him back on the lead lap eventually, uh, come back to finish eighth. So a uh, lot of story, different storylines here. A, a ninth place, Christian Rose, and then tenth spot. And we've talked about him, a regular guest here, Greg Van Alst, um, racing in honor of his dad uh, this weekend. Ha- again, had a little bit of a rough weekend. We'll get to where he's at with the points here. But overall, a great race here by the Arkham Menard Series all the way around. Okay, and I want to just mention as well, Tony Breidinger uh, came in in second place, and Mandy Chick uh, brought home a uh, 12th-place finish. So two females in this field and uh, having a fairly good day there as well. All right. Um, anything else you think we should add to our recap of what happened here at uh, Kansas in the Arkham well, Art Series? You you hit on the female drivers there. The third one in the field is Amber Balkin, and I believe she oh, yeah. was running, I think, top ten, fifth to tenth all race long. I think it was a spot. Um, ended up in a situation not really of her doing. Ended up 22nd. Got to give a big shout-out because that's one of those where the finish doesn't reflect where she was racing, having a great day as well. Uh, but like I said, I believe she was 5th to 10th all race long. Yeah, I think that that's a really good uh, uh, point to make, uh, Jay, and thank you for doing that. Um, and, and real proud of all of the drivers, uh, female drivers that are racing in the Arkham and Art Series. They're all doing a good job. Tony Breidinger, of course, did a double Duty. She also raced in the truck series, and we'll be talking about that a little bit in a little bit here as well. Uh, but the Arkham and Art Series is actually going to take a few weeks off before they head to Charlotte Motor Speedway for Memorial Day weekend for the General Tire 150 on May 26th. Now that green flag will wave at 6 p.m. Eastern with Fox Sports 1 providing the coverage. So... Um, uh, something to kind of keep in mind here. But before we leave the Arkham and Art Series, Jay, I want to make sure we go to the point standings because uh, they have four races into the books now. And as I mentioned, uh, Frankie Munoz, again, kind of a surprise, if you will, uh, even to himself a little bit, I think, was your points leader coming in. However, 
Jesse Love picking up that second victory uh, consecutively, for that matter, um, takes over the points lead now, sits at 144. Frankie Munoz only two points back. Jack Wood has slid into the third spot now after his third top ten of the year out of those four races. Greg Van Alst does have the victory from Daytona, had a rough week or two, and ended up with a 10th place finish uh, this past weekend at Kansas. He's now in fourth spot, though, at minus 17. And then you got Andres Perez de Lara at minus 22, six through 10th. Tony Constantino at minus 24. Christian Rose at minus 28. And for some reason here, Sean Core is listed in, it, in eighth, but doesn't show his points. It's between 116 and 108. <laughs> I'll tell you that, because that's the two I'm above him and below him. So I'm not sure that's where he fits in that range. <laughs> yeah. Um, then Tony Bridinger, you mentioned, is in ninth at 108. is 36 points back. And John Garrett rounding out your top 10 is at minus 53. And that's actually a tie with Mandy Chick, who's only started three races. She's also at 91 points, 53 back. Wow. In three races instead of four. So that's impressive. Okay. Uh, I want to make sure everybody knows when the next races are for the Arkham and Art Series East and West as well. Uh, so let's go to that. Let me see if I can pull it up, get my com- computer to uh, cooperate here, and I should be able to pull it up. Oh, also, I should mention uh, there's a delayed broadcast for the uh, Kansas race that took place this past weekend uh, at Kansas Speedway. Actually, there's not a delayed broadcast. I guess that's because it was on Fox Sports 1. So I apologize, but let's uh, go that's to the a, That's a shame. That's a, that's a shame because uh, you definitely want to want to miss it. You don't want to miss these races because uh, that one was a, a nail biter. Uh, even though it appeared Jesse Love dominated, uh, you wouldn't know it until that checkered flag flew. Yeah, you have to check it out. Flow Racing may have a, uh, uh, a broadcast of it as well. It would be a replay if you wanted to watch it over there. Uh, check that out. I'm not 100% sure, but I think you might be able to watch it there. Uh, now, this coming weekend, we will get to see the ARCA East back in action for the Music City 200, May 13th at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time out at Nashville Fairground Speedway, and that will be live stream on Flow Racing. So always a fun race, and everybody loves the uh, trophy that comes from Nashville Fairground Speedway. And that is a track I can personally attest to. The fairgrounds there in Nashville, one heck of a track. It is indeed. Also, the Arkham and Art Series West, they'll be racing the Portland 112. Uh, That race we'll have to wait for a little bit. It will be on June the 2nd. 8.30 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time at Portland International Raceway. And, again, it will be via live streaming at Flow Racing. Uh, but you can always hear the radio coverage uh, for both of these races at ArcaRacing.com as well as their Race Central gives you live updates directly from the track 
if uh, you're not a Flow Racing subscriber, you can still follow along with what's happening in the race as it happens uh, over at ARCARacing.com. Again, there is plenty of ways you can catch all of this action, and uh, I was trying to pull Flow Racing back up, but it won't load for me now. I was going to look and see if that ARCA race did have a replay on Flow Racing. Um, You'll have to check that out. Okay. Uh, Let's cover some of the stories uh, that are over at ARCARacing.com while I check that out, Jay. Okay. I'll go back to the main page. Well, obviously the top story there, uh, Jesse Love uh, picking up his second consecutive victory. The Reese's sweet move of the race, and if you didn't see the race, you've got to understand it. Frankie Munoz uh, went through the middle of a crash. I think it was three cars that were involved that kind of split. Like I said, he went through a rough day, got back to a top ten, but that was voted as the Reese's sweet move of the race. Normally on Mondays, uh, Sunday mornings, I think at 9 a.m. is when that opens up, and they have options if you want to vote for the Reese's sweet move of the race. The other articles they got up, um, we got Zachary Tinkle announced for the fan car for the Bristol Arkham and Series East race. So those are always special paint schemes. Check out the track profile for the Nashville Fairgrounds um, coming up for their next event here coming up else do we got okay the last I'm not one is seeing up. that replay for the uh, ARCA race so it's not available over at Flow Racing so our apologies well there. Fan, fans I hate to tell you that then you missed a good one <laughs> yeah definitely okay um, okay you were talking about some of the uh, story lines at uh, ARCA yeah, I had all the uh, the new articles they got up um, and watch the incredible okay. story of the Venturini uh, Motorsports all-female pit crew. That's a video they have up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, also, if you don't have your tickets yet uh, for the ARCA East race at Nashville Fairgrounds, you can claim those seats. Uh, and uh, they have an, a little feature here that tells you how you can get your seats uh, for that race. Uh, in addition to the ARCA Music City 200, uh, the Prolate models, the CRA Street Stocks, um, and the Prolate model uh, will all be racing. Uh, the Prolate model will have a 100-lap race. Uh, the CRA Street Stocks will have a 50-lap race. So you'll be able to see more than just the ARCA Menard Series or East racing out there at uh, Nashville Fairground Speedway. And that's one of those, a track like Nashville Speedway does things like that, the, uh, an entire day of racing. You get to see some of these other classes. Uh, different tracks have different ones. Always very entertaining racing because uh, those are the guys trying to get to that next level. So the aggression you see, I know Fly, Five Flags Speedway in Pensacola has a couple of unique classes that are interesting to watch. Um, got to see the modified, uh, what is it? Modified Mayhem, Modified to Mayhem, uh, run it a couple of them as well. They're always uh, super interesting to watch. Okay. You know, we have race winner Jesse Love here as well. 
with his crew chief, Shannon Roosh. Uh, the entire interview is just five minutes. Why don't we, uh, five minutes and 17 seconds, why don't we play five minutes of that and then five minutes of Grant Infinger's uh, interview as well. All right, that works. All right, let's go with this one. Shannon Rush. Jesse, we'll start with you. A little warm out there today, but uh, you really took it to him out there. I think you led 92 out of 100 laps. How were the conditions out there, and how was your race car? Uh, obviously, pretty good. Ended up in victory lane. Yeah, I thought we led all of them. Which ones we know? I think 17 that Jed climbed a couple of times. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, we were really good. Obviously, we were fastest in testing yesterday. We were fastest in practice today. Um, qualifying, we were really good. And then, uh, yeah, in the race, we just you know, kind of managed a pretty solid race, I thought, moved up when we needed to. Um, obviously, it's my first mile and a half, so I'm not really sure a whole lot on um, how much tire to use at each point in the race. So I was just kind of letting uh, my crew chief, Spotter, and Billy uh, sell me my gaps, kind of man- manage it off of that. Um, and then I'd get worried based off of how hard I was running to run those laps. So... At the end, just uh, racing with Thero, racing for track position, and uh, honestly, I thought I could pass, like, just fine, you know, as long as you went to the opposite lane, so um, just a really good car, and I uh, got a little tired at the end. Shannon, you have a lot of experience uh, working with a lot of young drivers, a lot of success throughout the course of your career. Uh, what do you see in this young man, and what did you see out there today uh, that, that impresses you about Jesse Love? Um... I mean, the ceiling's super high on him, obviously. You know, um, hot day, first mile and a half, you know, to go to go out and do what he did yesterday at the test and then um, today in practice and qualifying did, um, did, I mean, exceeded my expectations. You know, obviously I show up and expect to win and want to win and sit on the pole, but, you know, um, just, just did a great job, you know, and even at the end when we're hot and tired and he just – he, he wins. He's a winner, you know. I mean, he, he just knows how to win, you know, and you, you can't teach that or train that. You just, you know, some guys have it and some work for it their whole life. So Yeah, I didn't always have it. You know, I went from being at the top of Bob's list, uh, at the top of the top ten list. I think <laughs> last year I was off of it. So I'm just trying to get back on that top three. Um, and obviously people like Shane are kind of teaching me how to do that. So, um, you know, just working with these guys actually helps a ton and, uh, learning how to also just not just go fast at certain racetracks, but race in general. All right, we'll open it up to questions. And we'll start in the back, and we'll come, come up to Bob. Todd Engel with the Kansas City Star. Uh, Jesse, can you, you you mentioned it was your first uh, time here at a mile and a half. Can you just tell us kind of uh, how it performed versus what you expected and also how much of a learning experience it is racing in such different conditions? Yeah, I learned a lot. I learned that uh, it's not a lot nicer when you race at night, um, and it's not hot, and I learned uh, how hot it does get. So on the plane right here, I was like, um, you know, I don't need a cool suit or this or that thing, and I was like, okay, sounds good. I got a helmet blower, and, uh, and I was dying for a cool suit at the end. It was so hot in that thing. Um, but no, just, you know, I kind of knew what to expect. I did a lot of prep work. I talked to a lot of people um, that have won where I'm trying to win or winning now. And um, <clears throat> learned a lot in that aspect. So 
I thought I was pretty much ready to rip off the truck. Um, you know, maybe worked up to it a little bit yesterday in practice. Um, but at the same time, like, I thought we were really good all weekend, and obviously my car, you know, bottle rocket, and uh, it made it my job a lot easier. And uh, I thought that I did my homework beforehand so I can show up and just be ready to rip off the truck. All right, Bob, we'll go to you. Bob Hawker, Fox Sports. Were you concerned at all that you were so fast in qualifying that with the change in the temperatures that you weren't going to be as good during the race? A little bit. So um, the good thing about that is obviously this place tends to swing tight when it gets hotter, and I was a little bit free kind of old day. So yesterday in practice I was a little snug. I was, I was tight. And uh, Shane and I went to work overnight, came back, and I was just a little bit edgy all day long. Um, so being a little bit edgy in qualifying, I figured, and in practice, I figured my car would come to me. And uh, three tenths is a lot. Like, we shot a pull by three tenths, and no matter how much the track changes, that's a, a good place to start. So um, to answer your question, yes, but in the sense that I thought we were going to get even better um, with the change of the track state. we have any further questions here in the media center? All right, guys, uh, you can keep the streak rolling. couple of things and somewhat I'm going to pull from this from his post race that was on TV. Uh, I joked about it when it came on. The temperature there was hot. His first race on a mile and a half. Uh, he said how much more of a strain that was than Talladega, which was really surprising to hear. We've heard about how mentally stressful, I guess, Talladega is. Here it was a little more physical mentioned in the, in the heat uh, that they had there at Kansas. Um, so that he was able to maintain that, maintain his focus in the car. Uh, but he, he acknowledged that, and he, he said he might have made a mistake uh, thinking he was all that and not wanting that cool suit. I think he said he was placing the order for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and I like that uh, he was talking to a lot of different people about uh, the tracks that he's racing now and winning at and getting feedback from them. Uh, and obviously that is helping him a great deal for him to be getting the results. And he's right. Last year I think he was in a little bit of a slump, uh, but uh, this year he is back in form and out there winning races, so really cool to see. Now we're going to go ahead and play uh, a little bit of the interview here with Grant Infinger as well, uh, maybe about five minutes or so. And uh, Jay and I will comment after uh, that period of time. So this is Grant Infinger, driver of the number 23 for GMS Racing. It's a Chevrolet, and uh, he was the winner of the NASCAR Truck Series race this weekend out at Los, um, Kansas Speedway. Um, a huge night for us. Uh, you know, from the drop of the green flag, we had a, a really, really good uh, Chevy Silverado. It started out really tight, um, so honestly, the, the first stage was the only thing I, I didn't really think we were uh, capable of c- 
contending of, of just going up there and, and controlling the race. Uh, once Jeff made a, one adjustment on it there to, to kind of end out that first stage, as soon as we put on tires the first time, I felt like from that point forward we were uh, potentially the, the best truck out there. Um, definitely there, there were some other guys that were really, really good, um, but I, I definitely feel like we, we had the truck to beat tonight. So uh, you never know how these mile and a half are going to play out. Obviously, uh, there was a little bit of chaos there but behind us uh, a couple of times and, and that one big wreck on the restart there. So uh, fortunate enough to, uh, to to be in front of that stuff. And, um, you know, Corey and, and Zane were, were both good as well there at the end. Um, but, yeah, once once we got that, that track position back, uh, I knew it, it was our race to lose. I just uh, said a lot of prayers not to not to get a caution there at the end. So uh, thankful thankful for that. Um, I, I think we had the, the best truck anyway. Uh, just uh, these restarts in the truck series are, are crazy. So um, I'm uh, very, uh, very glad that, that we got to avoid that. All right. We'll go ahead and go to the media now for questions. And we'll start in the back. Todd Engel with the Kansas City Star. Uh, you mentioned that it's been a, a slow year and a half for you. How long was? How long has it been since you've had that feeling where you know you've had a truck that's really going to be hard to beat? What was it like tonight to be able to kind of put it all together and put together a race maybe that's been better than any you've had in a while? Uh, yeah, you know, I guess uh, the most frustrating part for me, um, you know, since since returning back to GMS racing is is honestly we've we've only had a truck capable of contending maybe four or five times total in whatever it is, 30 races or, or whatever. Um, this time last year, I, I felt like we did a, a great job a few times of executing to the best of our ability, but we just flat out were missing something with the trucks themselves. Uh, so no, no matter what we did at the track, it was kind of uh, other guys were going to have to miss it pretty good for us to have a shot to win. Um, but I haven't felt that way at all this year. I felt like, honestly, like myself and – and Jeff, not not anybody individually, but just all of us as a group, just haven't executed very cleanly uh, this year. Feel like we were making little mistakes, and we just weren't good enough to overcome it. We we've had a, a truck capable of winning two races this year, um, but this is by far the best truck we've we've had uh, all year. But I mean, there was a, a ton of effort, um, a lot of soul searching went into this this truck, and um, you know some stuff that that we felt like. We uh, we learned last year that you know didn't work at all at Vegas, but you know had showed some potential. Um, we finally just we, we analyzed everything we could, and, and Jeff told me just to stop thinking about it. But when I got in the truck, and um, I think I think his mindset was was good the whole race. I feel like mine was was as well. And um, like I said, though we you show up with with a truck like that makes the driver, makes the crew chief, makes a, makes a picker, makes everybody look a lot better. So uh, the biggest thing is, is, is having that kind of speed. And, and uh, yeah, this is, this is definitely the, the, the best truck we've had in a while, probably since, since IRP last year. We'll go up front to Zach. Zach Grant, congrats on the win. Um, you and Raja both had speed tonight. How much more encouraging does that make a night like tonight when it's not just one truck? Yeah, I think that's a great sign. And, and even though we didn't qualify great, we were 10th, 11th, and, and 14th, I think, or 10th, 11th, and 13th. We were right there in a group. And um, it's better than qualifying 17th. Mike over here has yelled at us a good bit after uh, qualifying at, at Daytona and Vegas and, it, um, you know, quite a, quite a few of them. And we have worked really, really hard on it. But, uh, you know, my, myself and Hensley have, have, have tried to, you know, we, we, we tried to have the mindset of, of making a good race truck 
And uh, if you got a good enough win like we did tonight, um, you can stand qualifying 11. So, and, and this is a good track, too. I mean, this is a track that if you have a good track, you can make your way to the front. Um, some of the tracks we go to, it's single-file racing, and, and it's really tough to pass. Um, Kansas is, in my opinion, one of the better tracks we go to now. Uh, you can run any groove out here. We have enough tire wear. makes it for a, for a great race for, for the drivers and the fans, and, and you don't see a guy beat everybody off their road and, and just uh, dirty air them to death. So I think that makes for a great race. But, uh, but it, it was good that Roger had speed to answer your question. It's good that, honestly, we all qualified, you know, within a couple of tenths. You know, so um, that's something we're, we're still working on. Um, but, but very, very proud of, of everything we did uh, when, the, when the green flag dropped tonight. Collective. Okay. Your thoughts, Jay? Well, he was very open and honest about several things there uh, as far as his return there to GMS and where they've been at. And he mentioned it. It's not a one thing or a big thing. It's these little things. And that tells you how tough the competition here is in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series, um, that he said those little things were what was keeping him from being in that co- in contention. Um, and I know as a, as a driver and obviously winning the race, you felt he had the best truck there. Uh, I'd say there's about four or five others that felt that same way, and they didn't get the victory. Uh, it was a super competitive race, great racing action, uh, he mentioned Kansas Speedway is one of the better tracks, and uh, we'll approach that with Mike when he gets here for Hot Topic. There was <laughs> passing and racing action all night long. Yes, there was. It, it was a really good race. Grant always does such a good job of of uh, communicating what's what's actually going on with his team. And uh, you're right; he was he was brutally honest about it. And in a good way, uh, you know, we want to hear uh, what's actually happening, and, and he, he gives us that. Uh, and I, I really respect him uh, for being that honest about what's going on. Uh, but he, obviously they persevered all of that uh, to be able to come home with that win. And I know he has been close so many times, and it's just little things, like you said, that that come up, kind of get in their way, and if they can uh, minimize those little things, uh, they can have a good day like they had at uh, Kansas Speedway. So I thought it was a great interview, and uh, I always enjoy hearing from Grant Denfinger. Without a doubt. One of the humblest guys I think you'll meet in racing, period. Uh, I've gotten to talk to him several times. was just looking at some memories from that from earlier this year. Um, who he is as a person as well as on the track, and as he did in an interview, you know, he said, yeah, we're making mistakes or, you know, little things here and there, but it wasn't a degrading or an attacking thing. He said, we all came together, we lifted each other up, and we overcame it. Absolutely, and that's exactly uh, what it takes. Uh, Grenton figures a championship-caliber driver, and he knows um, it, it's not – uh, always a smooth road on um, your road to a championship, uh, but it's how you deal with those things when they come up uh, that make all the difference in the world. And what he talks about in this uh, interview are those kind of things that they're doing uh, that are going to put them on the right track and uh, in good shape for the for the playoffs for sure. 
Oh, most certainly, and especially as he mentioned, uh, working with with his teammates. Of you know, think about it on a multi-car team or multi-vehicle team. I guess in this case, trucks. If you have one that's way out in front, um, he said, you know, they're together. They're all in the same spot. Maybe not getting the same finishes. Uh, I know Roger Cruz had some issues again, unfortunately. We've seen they have the speed as well. Um, we'll get to that when we do the rundown. But that they're they're there as a team. You know, an entire team, not one good one and two, three bad ones. They're all in the same spot, so they're all building together. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, anyway, I thought it was a really good interview, and I'm glad we got to listen to it. Um, we're going to go ahead and move on now to the truck series. They did race this weekend out at uh, Kansas Speedway, the Heart of America 200. The race winner was Grant Infinger at the age of 38, driving that number 23 Chevy Military Appreciation Chevrolet uh, for his team owner, Maurice Gallagher, Jr., and um, his crew chief, Jeff Hensley. It was his eighth victory in 158 Craftsman Truck Series races and his first victory and fourth top ten finish of this year. Uh, it's also his first victory and eighth top ten finish in ten races at Kansas Speedway. That speaks to what he said, that it tends to be a good track for them. Corey Heim finished in second place, posting his second top ten finish in three races at Kansas Speedway, and it is his sixth top 10 finish of this season. Zane Smith, the championship points uh, defender, uh, finished in third, his sixth top 10 finish in seven races at Kansas. And Nick Sanchez, who finished sixth, was the highest finishing rookie of the race. Uh, Now, just to give you kind of a little bit of a recap here, uh, Grant Infinger stayed ahead of trouble in a race that produced seven cautions for 40 of the 134 laps, and that forged a decisive victory for Grant Infinger in Saturday night's race. He crossed the finish line 4.358 seconds ahead of Corey Heim to post his first victory of the year, and um, the win, well, as we mentioned, was the first of the season uh, for Infinger, with just over 30 laps left. Uh, following a restart, Infinger made his final pass for the lead in an impressive three-wide move. Uh, Zane Smith dropped to the inside of the then-leader, Corey Heim, to challenge for the lead, and Infinger drove by both of them to claim the spot, that top spot. He held it through the remainder of the race, leading a race-high 65 of 134 laps. Heim again finished second, followed by Zane Smith. Then it was Stuart Friesen, Ross Tastain, Nick Sanchez, Kyle Busch, Jake Garcia, Taylor Gray, and Tyler Ankrum uh, rounding out the top ten. Tony, Bre- Tony Breidinger, we talked about her in the ARCA race. She finished 15th in her NASCAR Truck Series debut, uh, which I think is pretty darn good. The pole sitter, Christian Eckes, Unfortunately, he was involved in an accident on lap 78, so he was not able to finish the race. Stage 1 was actually won by Kyle Busch. Stage 2 was won by Ty Majeski. There were 15 lead changes among nine drivers and seven cautions for those 40 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 101.005 
miles per hour. And, Jay, your thoughts about those uh, top ten finishers here? Wow, so much to unpack there. Um, yes. You know, I said uh, I figured there were several drivers like they felt they had the best truck. Uh, you know, there are Grant's got every reason to believe so. Uh, led three times for 65 laps, which was the most laps led by a good margin to include, include those uh, final 30. And in that closing uh, laps, definitely pulled away. You mentioned the margin of victory, 4.358 seconds. Uh, again, that doesn't tell the whole story, but, you know, I, I guess at this point I'd have to agree with him at that point, and he definitely did have the best truck. Um, but you mentioned that battle of how he got there. It was a three-wide battle with Corey Hyman, Zane Smith. Um, they finished second and third. I mentioned this earlier when we talked about team changes. Stuart Friesen, uh, crew chief, and I, off the top of my head, I cannot remember who it was that moved over to Daniel Dye. Um, Bridge Breidinger, I'll have to look that up, but um, moved their crew chief, or they the amicably parted ways, and they went with the crew chief by committee. They got a, a fourth place finish there at Kansas. Daniel Dye picking up that crew chief as a rookie came home 13th. Uh, I think that's one of his better finishes of the year. We got Ross Chastain, mm-hmm. you mentioned in fifth. Uh, obviously runs good when he comes to the truck series. Sixth through tenth, though. You got three rookies that finished in there. Nick Sanchez was the best finishing rookie in six. We had Jake Garcia with yet another top ten in the uh, A spot and then Taylor Gray in the ninth spot. In between there, you had Kyle Busch. Um, and if you watch the truck race, I believe it was a, his uh, in-truck radio. He, he came home with a seventh-place finish. He said the truck was junk. You might as well bring it to the scrapyard. That tells you what Kyle Busch expects out of his trucks and his team. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay, there were only 13 drivers. There were actually 12 drivers who finished on the lead lap. Uh, there were a slew of drivers that finished one, two, or three laps down. And uh, I'll kind of hit on the ones uh, that had issues this race. Tom, or I'm sorry, Tim Baines. Uh, had a transmission issue with his Toyota, uh, and he ended up uh, out of the race on lap two. Kobe Howard, uh, he had an accident that took him out of the race on lap 55. Raja Karuth uh, was out due to an accident on lap 72. Then Chase Purdy, uh, Dean Thompson, and Carson Hosevar all involved in an accident, taking all three of those drivers. Actually, there's more. Uh, Christian Eckes was part of that as well, uh, all taken out on that lap 78 because of that accident. Matt Benedetto was involved in that as well, uh, but he was out because of the damaged vehicle policy. He uh, left the race on lap 81. And Chris Wright, also involved in an accident, was out of the race on lap 91. So... Um, Really uh, an amazing, only 12 cars on the lead lap there, uh, and a lot more cars finishing uh, one or up to three laps uh, down in this race, but still running at the end. Well, and several of the ones you mentioned there, uh, I think Chase Purdy, I, I don't, throughout the race, he started at, towards the front there. I believe he was uh, outside pole. Um, I know he had a shot at the pole. 
He was up there in contention, top five, ended up in that accident you mentioned. But you're talking about some race winners this year already. Christian Eckes, Carson Hosevar um, as well, or those were the two uh, race winners. Um, Dean Thompson had a very competitive truck. Uh, I know he was extremely frustrated because he was one of the ones that really wasn't involved in the accident, just got tangled up in it. Mm-hmm. Kind of minding his own business uh, and got hit. Uh, but let's go ahead and make sure we cover the uh, points point report here, too, for the Arkham, I'm sorry, for the NASCAR Truck Series. All right. Uh, top of the leaderboard after eight races, you got Zane Smith at 323 points. It's actually a tie, though. Um, he gets it the is. advantage based on two race wins. Ty Majeski um, doesn't have any wins yet, but also has the 323 points. Um, so that's quite impressive. Ben Rhodes is 41 back. Corey Hyman and Grant Infinger rounding out the top five. Six through ten. Did I miss? Yeah, Grant Infinger fifth. Okay, six through tenth. Christian Eckes, Matt Crafton, Tanner Gray, Nick Sanchez as a rookie in ninth, and then Matt DiBenedetto in tenth. Now, here's something very important, and uh, it can't be highlighted any more than this. Matt DiBenedetto is not in the playoffs yet because Carson Hosevar with a victory right now is in 16th in points but has a victory in his pocket, jumps up into when it comes to the playoffs, which pushes Matt Depp Benedetto out and Nick Sanchez in ninth actually as the cut line at 205 points. Um, I know, like in this case, Carson Hosevar involved in that accident um, had a few of those, but can fall back on that victory to jump back into the playoffs if we don't get more than eight, or I'm sorry, ten now, um, victors, different victors here in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Tanner Gray is, I'm sorry, Carson Hosevar is going to uh, displace Matt DiBenedetto in that 10th spot by virtue of his win. Uh, but there are some other drivers that are kind of knocking at the door uh, of that uh, cut line. You've got Chase Purdy uh, that's also below the cut line. Uh, he's just uh, actually six points out. Uh, then you've got Stuart Friesen, another nine points out. Uh, Jake Garcia is, uh, let's see, that'd be 12 points out. So these guys are, are kind of knocking at that door, uh, and a win could jump them right up into the top ten, uh, just like Carson Hopsavar, even though he is 16th in the point standings. That win propels him up into the top ten when the playoffs begin. Quick he just has to there's ten different winners. <laughs> right. I got a question for you. I looked at ESPNs, and they do their ranking of showing where they are based on the wins, putting those with wins up at the top. Um, that, that particular scoring chart shows Jake Garcia only has seven races because he wasn't old enough to run at uh, mm-hmm. Daytona. But they had him even further down, like he wasn't eligible for the playoffs. And from my understanding, oh. if you're not eligible to because of age – that if you still run all the other races, once you are age-eligible, you are eligible for the playoffs. Is that not correct? 
That would be my understanding of it. As long as he turns of age sometime during the season, uh, it would make him eligible. But uh, And runs probably, all the races. Yeah. And as long as he runs all the races. Now, he missed that one race. So once he turns eligible, then he can request a waiver from NASCAR. And I, I think they would give it to him because it's not his fault that he wasn't age eligible in the earlier part of the season. I will, I will have to do some research on that if, if that's a, yeah. you have to request it or if it is an automatic knowing that because you're, once you're 18 and eligible yeah, to might, run all the races, you do. It might be automatic as long as he's turning of age during the season. We'll have to see. Yeah, I'd be interested in what you find out there, Jay. Okay, I will. I will see if I can get that by Thursday's uh, preview show. Uh, like I said, that was, ESPN's uh, one is the first one I noticed that that showed him not even up there. Um, he was like down in twenty something um, in points, even though he had more. So I'm assuming they were counting him as ineligible. Okay. Now a couple of news stories I want to make sure we mention here. Daniel Dye is going to give a nod to the King Richard Petty with a throwback scheme for Darlington Raceway, uh, and that race is coming up next week. Uh, also, Bubba Wallace is going to be driving for Tricon Garage at Darlington and uh, at North Wilkesboro in the Truck Series. So uh, we can look forward to having Bubba Wallace in those races uh, as well. That race, by the way, uh, the Buckle Up South Carolina 200 will take place on Friday night. May the 12th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And as Jay mentioned, we're going to do the preview show on Thursday. So uh, we will definitely preview that race uh, before they run that Buckle Up South Carolina 200 this weekend. Well, i got to tell you, Sharon, this is the one time I don't like doing radio when we talk about Darlington and the throwback paint scheme. Oh, I know. Uh, you got to get visual. You know, you got go online. I know Jayski's uh, normally has a page up with it, but wherever you can find it, go and check out some of these paint schemes that have already been announced. There are some phenomenal throwback paint schemes. I love this weekend. Uh, whoever came up with the throwback idea at Darlington, you just want to give them a huge hug. <laughs> yes, indeed, because uh, that really has gone very, very well. All right, we're going to move on to the Xfinity Series here because uh, they, again, did not race this weekend. They will be racing at Darlington, though. Uh, Saturday, Shriner 200 uh, is the Xfinity Series race at Darlington Raceway. Um, Three drivers will miss the race. There's 41 cars on the entry list. Some of the notables there, Blaine Perkins, Ty Dillon, Stefan Parsons, Kyle Larson, Ryan Truex, Corey Heim, Patrick Emmerling, Sage Karam, Jeffrey Earnhardt, Matt Mills, Chad Fincham, Dawson Cram, Carson Hosevar, and Ross Chastain will all be racing at Darlington on Saturday uh, for that race. Uh, that race is at 1.30 p.m. on Saturday, May 13th. And again, we'll give you a bigger preview of that race coming up on Thursday. But just to kind of remind everybody, Jay, let's tell them where they are with the points uh, after the A-game 200 that took place out at Dover. 
All right. Uh, in this case, the wins uh, for Austin Hill put him at the top of the point standings at 377. He's got three race victories. John Hunter Nemechek at second with two victories is four back. Got a gap then to Chandler Smith. Rookie has a victory, but is 38 points back in the standings. Then you got Josh Berry, top driver without a victory yet this season, and Justin Algar, Junior Motorsports, a winless so far this year. I don't expect that to continue. Six through ten, you got Cole Custer, Sheldon Creed, Riley Herbst, and then Sammy Smith in ninth, another rookie with a victory, so he'll move up, and Daniel Hemrick in the tenth spot. Now here for the Xfinity Series, we want to hit 11th and 12th, and that's Sam Mayer and Brandon Jones, the other two junior motorsports uh, teammates. The, the, the cut line is Brandon Jones with no, Actually, okay, it's okay. Not. Right now it would be. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> technically not. I just saw that. I was making sure I was going down the line. Brandon Jones is in 12th, but in 13th is Jeb Burton, who got that victory at Talladega. Actually, it's no, Ryan Truex isn't eligible. Okay, yeah, so just the one spot. Um, Jeb Burton would move in, so this cut line is actually Sam Merritt, 267. Brandon Jones being nine points behind him um, is where the cut line actually is. I mentioned that what threw me there. Ryan Truex does have the victory, but as Sharon said, he is a part-time, um, five races uh, so far this year. I mentioned he is on the list, though, for Darlington, and hopefully uh, more, but won't be eligible in the case of not making all the races. And here again, you got mentioned where the cut line is, but right behind Jeb Burton, Parker Kligerman is 10 points behind Brandon Jones. You got Ryan Sieg, another 18 back then. Brett Moffitt, Parker Retzlaff, and Ryan, uh, not Ryan Truex, skip over him, Kaz Grala. And they have all come very close to getting a victory. Those are ones that could jump up and disrupt the uh, cut line. Yes, indeed. We'll have to keep an eye on that uh, throughout the remainder of this season. Um, Now, just to kind of cover some of the news uh, that is uh, here uh, for the Xfinity Series, and I heard uh, Riley Earps on Sirius XM Radio talking about this uh, this morning. He said he used to watch a lot of racing when he was a kid, uh, a 10-year-old kid watching from his his uh, living room couch. Uh, he's going to play tribute to Ken Block with his Darlington throwback scheme, and uh, he honors uh, another motorsports legend um, and a tribute to Ken Block, uh, the late Ken Block, whose skill as a rallycross driver and stuntman is known globally thanks to Jim uh, Jimkana series uh, of YouTube videos uh, that brought car culture to uh, to NASCAR. So uh, they've got a picture of his uh, uh, tribute scheme, and it's pretty pretty amazing. It was. I, I saw it on Twitter. I didn't catch that uh, interview where he talked about it, but read about it on, on Twitter. And that one is, uh, if you want to say, very unique. As you said, it, it's it's actually a, a scheme of a rally car, but to bring, as we we talk about with different series, that crossover and the impact other series or drivers have, even on NASCAR drivers, that is a really cool throwback uh, by itself as well. Yeah, and he talked about how they shared the same uh, uh, sponsor as well with uh, Monster Energy. 
So uh, it's, it's really kind of cool to see him uh, uh, doing that tribute car. Uh, <clears throat> also, Sam Art was named to NASCAR's 75 Greatest Drivers list. This is one when we talked about this a little bit, I think, on one of our hot topics. Um, tough decisions when they're they're evaluating who to put on this list and who not. Not that any of the others don't deserve to be on there. I really thought Sam Art would have been one of the first ones they added to that list of 50. When it comes to, we talk about Xfinity Series records, Kyle Busch is breaking some of them, but Sam Art holds a lot of them still, uh, as well as Mark Martin. Okay, yes, indeed. Uh, it really is fun to look at these throwback schemes, and as you mentioned earlier, whoever thought of this idea, uh, they really hit the nail on the head. Uh, but here's another story. After nearly five years since his last start with the organization, Ty Dillon is going to return to Richard Childress Racing for the NASCAR Xfinity Series race uh, at Darlington. He's going to get behind the wheel of the number three Chevrolet Camaro at Darlington Raceway, making his first start in the car since September of 2018. And his first time, uh, the number three Xfinity car will be back at the track since the spring of 2022 when Jeffrey Earnhardt drove that car to a pole win and a second-place finish at Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, so uh, really cool. He's going to be running the Ferris uh, scheme, uh, which is a big sponsor of uh, RCR from way back when. <laughs> I mean, it's always cool to see that number three return to the track, and obviously uh, there, there's got to be that special connection. You mentioned uh, Jeffrey Earnhardt running it at Talladega. Uh, that one was very special all the way around. Larry McReynolds returned to the crew chief role on the box, and uh, I don't remember if, if he finished second or third. They came really close to pulling off a victory. So uh, hopefully uh, Ty Dillon can do the same thing. Um, it's great to see him back with the family team there with uh, RCR. Well, the, the first time that that sponsor ran with Richard Childress Racing uh, as a sponsor, their first race was back in 2003. So uh, really cool to see that uh, paint scheme uh, being used here this weekend. But Jazz Growl is going to have a vintage uh, uh, scheme at Darlington as well, Jay. I don't know that I've seen his yet. Oh, it's a fire truck scheme. So the fire department oh, you are... You're right. I did see that one. Go ahead. That That's spectacular. Yes, they uh, unveiled a very special vintage design for Kaz Corrales' number 26 Fire Department Coffee GR Supra in the upcoming Xfinity Series race at Darlington on the 13th. It's part of the special throwback uh, weekend celebration, and uh, uh, it really uh, does um, – it is part of the – honoring the legacy and the heritage of NASCAR with that fire department coffee for Sam Hunt Racing and Kaz Grala this uh, weekend. I, I, now that you mentioned that, uh, that's when it would be tough to rank. Just, we were talking about ranking the uh, drivers, ranking some of these paint schemes. That one I would have to automatically put in, in one of my top five anyway, um, but it would be tough to, to argue for or against some of these others, but 
that one is a really cool paint scheme. And in this particular case, honoring the fire department uh, is huge. I know that a lot of them are doing that to older drivers or in the motorsports, but the fire department um, being a big part of safety with, within racing is a huge one to do. Okay. Uh, now, if fans want to watch this race, the Shriners Children's 200 at Darlington Raceway will take place Saturday, May 13th, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Friday, May 12th, they'll have qualifying from 5.35 to 6.30 p.m. and practice on Friday from 5.05 to 5.35 p.m. Eastern, and all of that will be televised uh, on Fox uh, and MRN as well as Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Uh, so we've got uh, four days, 15 hours, 50 minutes, and 52 seconds <laughs> before that race begins. Sounds like a Larry McReynolds thing there. <laughs> <laughs> They've got a countdown clock at uh, J-Ski's over here. Okay, yeah. let's go ahead and move over to the Cup Series. Uh, they did race this weekend out of Kansas Speedway, and uh, the race winner, of course, was Denny Hamlin at the age of 42, driving the number 11 FedEx Express Toyota for Joe Gibbs Racing. His crew chief, of course, is Chris Gabarkhart. Uh, it was his 49th victory in 626 Cup Series races and his first victory and fifth top ten finish of this year. It's also his fourth victory and 13th top ten finish in 30 races at Kansas Speedway. Kyle Larson finished second, posting his ninth top ten finish in 17 races at Kansas and his fifth top ten finish this year. Uh, Kyle Larson is racking up a lot of second-place finishes. Uh, William Byron finished third, posting his seventh top ten finish in 11 races at Kansas. Noah Gregson finished 29th, but he was the highest finishing rookie of the race. Uh, to recap this race, uh, give me just a second here while I get to the page for the Advent Health 400. Uh, actually, this was a record break. This was a drought-breaking race for uh, Denny Hamlin, and he did a last lap tap and pass uh, in order to uh, get past Kyle Larson uh, and at his expense in Sunday's Advent Health 400. On the last lap after an intense chase that began with a restart on lap 221 of 267, Hamlin closed in on Larson's Chevrolet and further loosened an already loose race car uh, with slight contact from the right front of Hamlin's Toyota, turning Larson into the outside wall as Hamlin streaked past and took the checkered flag. Uh, so Larson finished second, uh, followed by the pole sitter William Byron in third. Uh, Wallace finished in fourth, and Ross Chastain rounds out the top five. Then there was Joey Logano, Chase Elliott, Ryan, uh, Martin Truex Jr., Tyler Reddick and uh, Austin Dillon round out the top ten. Hamlin took the lead on that last lap after getting into the rear of Larson as both drivers battled for the lead over the last 25 laps. Hamlin actually won stage one. Stage two was won by Joey Logano. There were 37 lead changes among 12 drivers and 11 cautions for 57 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 
5.64 miles per hour. Your thoughts about the top ten drivers here at uh, Kansas Speedway in the Cup Series. Well, I want to go back and repeat something you said there. 37 lead changes amongst 12 <laughs> drivers. Amazing. Um, okay, we'll, t- we'll, take, we'll take maybe three, maybe four of those looking at the numbers of under green flag or pitch strategy. Uh, nothing against them. That, you know, they did what they had to do for track position. Corey LaJoy led twice for seven laps. Michael McDowell once for one lap. And Christopher Bell once for three laps, but he also got taken out of the race way early. Um, so that might have been different. Everybody else was five or more laps led. I take that back. Ross Chastain's was only two for three lap, two lead times leading for three laps, but he was in the top five all race. So uh-huh. super competitive race. Uh, again, I don't want to take anything away from Denny Hamlin, his win. I think, Sharon, you ought to market that. It wasn't a bump and run. It was a tap and pass. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, the, you know, they, they, when they first replayed it, they, whether or not he even touched him, it was that light. But you mentioned Kyle Larson did have a loose car, and they were racing that close and that hard um, in those final I laps. I can't take credit for that, uh, though, Jay. That was from Reed Spencer from the NASCAR Wire. Oh, okay. I, I hadn't heard that. I, I thought that I was like, you know, that is a very accurate way. So um, <laughs> best way to put that, uh, most certainly. Big shout out here to Kyle Larson with that tap. He turned nose into the wall, straightened it out, stayed in the gas, stayed on the wall, and still finished second. Uh, That was unbelievable for the car control he had there. It was. William Byron um, started on the pole, a contender all day, had some hiccups and issues, overcame them, got a third-place finish. Last year's winner in the in the uh, fall race, Bubba Wallace, in that 2311, he led four times for nine laps. Again, was right there contending, battling, even in the closing laps. I believe he was battling with Ross Jastain and able to come out ahead of him for the fourth spot over Ross Jastain in fifth. Joey Logano, another one that seemed to fight an ill-handling car again this week. Chase Elliott, back in action, knocking down these top ten. Not sure. We'll look at the points. Not sure he's going to be able to point his way in, but if you're going to, top 10 is how you're going to do it. Uh, Martin Truex, another one that was up there all day. Tyler Reddick um, had a couple of run-ins, if you will, had led for 23 laps uh, when he had the lead. And then Austin Dillon. Um, unfortunately, and I think, Sharon, you'll hit on this, of some top drivers that were up there in contention and maybe weren't at the end. Yeah, sometimes these finishes don't reflect how well they ran during uh, most of the race. Uh, In this particular race, there were 22 cars on the lead lap for all 267 laps. Uh, Several drivers finished uh, a lap down. And um, let's see, there's uh, one lap down, then we've got three laps down, uh, five laps down. Uh, all the way to seven laps down. And that goes down to all these cars were running on the lead lap. 33 of the 36 cars were all running on the lead lap. Uh, And Josh Balicki was that 33rd driver, uh, along with Chase Briscoe in 32nd, 
who uh, finished seven laps down. Uh, now, three drivers were involved in accidents, taking them out of the race early, uh, starting with Christopher Bell. He had an accident that took him out of the race on lap 157. Cal Bush, uh, a lot of people thought he'd win this race. He was out on lap 162 because of an accident. And then Ty Gibbs, uh, the talented rookie, on lap 176 was taken out by an accident. So uh, only three drivers not running at the end of this race. Well, and I can't give 100% on this, but I believe both Kyle Busch and Ty Gibbs, when they were involved in those accidents, were in the top 10 at that time, I believe. Yep. Um, I don't remember where Christopher Bell was running when he ended up into the wall, but he did lead uh, once for three laps. He started in the 12th spot. Ty Gibbs started in the 7th spot. Kyle Busch started 16th, but you know better than that. He was running up towards the front throughout the entirety of it until being... Um, eliminated from the race. I'll use the word eliminated. (laughs) Okay. The margin of victory here was 1.307 seconds. Uh, Not as much as the uh, truck series race, but still a pretty good uh, gap there for the margin of victory. It was, again, Kyle Larson ended up into the wall. uh, And this is not one where I have no issue with what Denny Hamlin did. They were running that close. Kyle Larson, I believe, even said that he had been losing um, the track position to him because he had a loose car, kept having to check up and catch it. Then Hamlin had closed in, not be able to get by him. They went side by side, I believe, for two laps with like five to go. Kyle pulled away again. Kyle did bounce off the wall, I believe, with two to go. That's what allowed Hamlin to close in. And then once he got alongside of him, as he was drifting back, made another run at it and did have to get to his bumper. And, uh, you know, like I said, if you watch the replay, man, I've tapped people on the shoulder harder than that to get their attention. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, an interesting replay. I'm sure we'll talk about this on Hot Topics as well. Um, But a couple of storylines I want to make sure we mention here real quick. Uh, Coca-Cola Racing Family Legends, uh, Grand Marshals for the Coca-Cola 600, uh, Jeff Burton, Dale Jarrett, Bobby Labonte, and Kyle Petty, no strangers for leading the field at Charlotte Motor Speedway Memorial Day weekend event. Uh, and this year, in honor of the 25th anniversary, uh, these drivers, uh, or former drivers, I should say, are uh, the grand marshals for that Coca-Cola 600. Also, um, uh, Kevin Harvick, uh, today was announced as NASA's, one of NASCAR's uh, top 75 greatest divers, and uh, he, he was uh, presented uh, his box uh, by his son, uh, Keelan, and daughter. And I can't think of her name. All of a sudden, it eludes me, but uh, uh, I'm sure that made it special for him. What is, what is it? Oh, Piper. 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 Yeah, Piper. It came to me. <laughs> Uh, so I saw the video of it. It was really cute, uh, them delivering that to Kevin Harvick. So uh, your thoughts about some of the news here real quick before we move on. That's one of those. Uh, we talked about that as well, uh, not just being honored by being on the list, but the way they have presented them. Uh, I know with Brad Keselowski, was another one that they had kids come on Race Hub. 
with Kevin Harvick's uh, kids there being the one to present it. Uh, that is one that is just a huge thing. And when you look at some of these drivers, and some of them I didn't even fully know what their history was and, and how they got put on that list. Kevin Harvick is one of those. If you look across all the series, from the truck series as a driver and an owner, the Xfinity series, and then his cup career, certainly worthy of being one of these top 75. Yes, indeed. Uh, also, in a um, uh, effort to be transparent, NASCAR said that they would uh, display confiscated parts, and they did that this weekend um, after Austin Dillon's penalty from Martinsville. Uh, NASCAR put on display that confiscated part uh, that created the L1 level penalty uh, to the number three Richard Childress Racing team. So uh, I like the transparency, Jay. Yeah, and Mike the other night did a great job of explaining it, and he wasn't 100% sure of exactly what it was. Uh, I think it was Bob Pockris that had released the pictures of it in a diagram that certainly did it. And the, the big thing, um, and, and Sharon, I'm going to include you with this. If, if you don't want to be included, feel free to step back. But even for some that don't understand the mechanics of a car, that really did explain it. And Mike had alluded to it of what it was, but that confirmed it. You know, in this case, it was a, supposed to be a lockdown bolt. The fact that it wasn't locked down means it could be adjusted after it left tech. Nobody's saying they did adjust it, but it could be, and that's why it has to be locked down. So um, that's, I think it was. I think the, the appeals board did a great job of upholding the penalty, and then now everybody knows why. And like I said, I, I understand it now, and that's what helps mm-hmm. all fans. It does. It helps all of us. Okay, Jay, I, get, I left you three minutes fantasy um, update. I had a good day okay. and a not um, so good day. <laughs> do you want me to do? We didn't actually hit on the Cup Series point standings yet. Oh Can yeah, we do that real quick Cup first. Points real quick. Shoot, I missed that. All right. Uh, coming up on hot topics, we're going to talk about him. Ross Chastain, maybe uh, having issues <laughs> off the track, but on the track, he's your points leader. Doesn't have any victories, but he's ahead of everybody with race wins at this point. Christopher Bell in second, Martin Truex third, Denny Hamlin a fourth, Kevin Harvick is fifth, sixth through tenth, Tyler Reddick, Ryan Blaney, Kyle Larson, William Bryant, William Byron, sorry, uh, Brad Keselowski, and then here we got to go through 16, Joey Logano, Kyle Busch, Chris Buescher, Ricky Stenhouse, Alex Bowman, and Daniel Suarez, and I don't think here in the Cup Series, no, none of the ones, uh, all the ones with wins are above that cut line. Now, Ricky Stenhouse is right in that range at 14th. I think a couple of weeks ago he was outside. but So that puts the bubble between Daniel Suarez at 259, four points back, Chase Briscoe. Another two points back, just had a top five finish, Bubba Wallace. Ty Gibbs nipping at the uh, door as well at 239. But there's a list here of 20th through 30th, and I want to look at Chase Elliott. He's now 29th at 178 points. Still needs to make up about 80 points. And I know Larry McReynolds keeps throwing some math out there. Top 10 in points, getting these stage points, 
with the number of races we have left, which is 14, yeah, 14 now, he could possibly still point his way into the top 16. That's not their goal, I guarantee it. But um, that's kind of what where the backup is. If they're running top 10, they may still get on in on points. Okay, but keep in mind. Uh, we've got, what, ten different winners now, or nine different winners? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine different winners in 12 races. Uh, so we still have a whole lot more racing to do. We're not quite, Darlington will be that halfway mark uh, before uh, for the regular season. Uh, but nine drivers in 12 races. Uh, how many different drivers you think will hit before this is all said and done? Boy, that I mean, we've come so close in, in these in past, I say, three years. Uh, look at the top. Ross Chastain doesn't have a win yet. Coming really close, though. Kevin Harvick, we saw him last year. Didn't have any until late into August, I believe it was. Knocked off two in a row. Ryan Blaney, another one. Um, I don't know how many top two, three finishes he have, but doesn't have the victory. So right there is three. Yeah, everybody else I'd say would be not a long shot, but not quite there as far as top five week in and week out you expect it. So there's three more. Put that at 12. And then below the cut line, last year Daniel Suarez had a victory. Chase Briscoe has been to victory lane. Bubba Wallace has been to victory lane. Austin Sindrick has been to victory lane. Eric Jones coming up to Darlington. Eric Almarola, and take Chase Elliott. Add that. I mean, there's six, seven more, um, certainly. And we got a couple of super speedways, road course races. Anything can happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, fortunately, I misread the clock before, and we actually still have four minutes left for our fantasy update, Jay. Well, that's good, because I do need a few minutes here with this. Uh, pull something up here. Wanted to make an announcement that over this past weekend in talking with Brian Eberly, he was at the race at Kansas. Uh-huh. And as such, he had some insider information and insider trading deal when it came to making race picks. So he has been DQ'd for the weekend. However, what? he made an he had he made an appeal to the appeals board, which is me. And Upon further review, the appeals board decided that he would be reinstated. And based on that, for transparency, I looked at the points, and he's last in points overall. So whatever information he's getting, he's not using to his advantage anyway for competitive reasons. So he's been reinstated. However, the fine stays intact, and that's payable to me. All right. Got all that cleared up now? <laughs> yeah, clear as mud. Yeah, no, I had some fun with Brian uh, over the weekend, so just That's thought cool. I'd share that. I saw a picture <laughs> of him that, uh, and his uh, friend at the Walmart picking up their watermelon for a Chastain win. <laughs> oh, yeah? How about yeah. that? All right, let me, which one do we want to start with here? Truck series. All right, with that, Sharon, you wanted to hear good news? We'll go from there. The truck series, you and Tommy are tied to stop at 41 points. Uh, one point behind you, though, is Andy at 40. Sam has 35. Mike at 34. James at 29. 
Brian, 28, and Owen, 27. Oh, yeah, there's another guy there who's not using anything to his advantage. I only got 21 points. Oh, and wow. I got first pick going into next week. <laughs> well, I was so – both series, I had, like, next to last pick and then the last pick. It was hard because all my picks were taken. <laughs> uh, I believe you ended up with Grand Infinger, did you not? Yeah, I did. I did. Even though it was next to okay. last to pick, or the last to pick, maybe in that series. That yeah, yeah, there you go. Now at the Xfinity series, here we get the. You're, you're not in a tie, Sharon. You have a one-point lead, 51 points. Mike is at 50. James is at 43. Andy 42. Jay 41. That's me. 41. Hey, I'm not at the bottom. All right. Brian 36. <laughs> Uh, Owen and Tommy in a tie at 35, and Sam at 33. On the cup side, James That's is uh, the bad been pretty, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this one, uh, yeah. Well, you're, you are in a tie again here. You're super tight, two ties and one one-point lead. Um, James, though, has kind of been at the top of this one all year, 76 points. I'm nipping at him. I got 70. Owen is at 68. Tommy, 66. Mike, 65, Sam, 62, Brian at 58, and then there's a gap to Andy and Sharon. You guys got 42. (laughs) Adding those all up, if you can't do it in your head, I'll do it for you here. We have a new overall points leader. James had been in control of this as well, and I've dropped way down, but Mike is your new points leader at 149, James at 148, Tommy up to 142. Uh, Sharon, you're in the middle, 134. I'm behind you now at 132. Owen, 130, as well as Sam at 130. Andy, 124. And as I mentioned, Brian overall, 122. But that's still 27 points, which is three races um, for what we've been through all season. That's pretty good for an overall battle. Yes, it is. Well, thank you, Jay, for uh, taking care of this for us. Uh, I know it's a lot of work trying to get everybody and and uh, get all the picks in on time, uh, but you do a really nice job with it, including your appeals board uh, situation there as well. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my bad. I, I had I had one more announcement with that for transparency. All rules that I make up will be published as soon as I make them up. <laughs> Okay, that sounds uh, that sounds pretty far for the course. Okay, thank you, Jay. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, we're at the top of the hour. That means it's time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and I believe Andy and Mike are going to be joining us. Uh, but Mike is here now, so let's bring him into the queue and say hi. Hello, Mike. I called in just in time to uh, – hey, Jay, who's that points leader again? Is it, did I hear it was me? What's going on here? It, it was, it was indeed you. You've had a good run. You, you came from. Uh, I don't know if you came from the bottom, but mid pack to the front. I had a Kyle Larson like move over the past few weeks here. I'm pretty proud of that one. Very good. Go. Okay. Also joining us for tonight's hot topics is Andrew Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hey, how's it going? Good to be on here. Always uh, always fun to have both you and Mike here. Uh, all right, so, Andy, let's start with you for our first hot topic for tonight. Then we'll Do go we to Mike. Do we have anything to myself. talk about tonight? 
I think Not so. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start off with the big one, I suppose. Ross Chastain, Noah Gregson get into a post-race scuffle on Pitt Road in Kansas yesterday. And, Mike, you get the first crack at this one. Well, let me state my opinion extremely clearly. Ross Chastain did nothing wrong. Nothing wrong on the racetrack. Uh, if, you, uh, uh, if you look at the replay, there was, uh, yeah, they were close, but Noah Gregson had about half a car width between him and the one car and another half a car width between him and the wall, and then he washed up into the fence. The one never made contact with him. And then the 42 comes off the wall, doors the one, and then he wants to get in his face and try and start a fight on pit road after the race. Come on, man. This is, this, this is the NASCAR Cup Series. How much room do you need? You should be, if you're in the NASCAR Cup Series, you should be good enough to control your car with basically an entire car with half on one side, half on the other. That should be enough room. If you're good enough to be in the NASCAR Cup Series, that should be more than enough room for you. And then Noah decides he wants to go down there and start a fight with Ross on pit road. And you want to talk about daddy's money Las Vegas kid versus raised on a farm Florida man. This went about it like we expected. Noah grabbed Ross's fire suit, and Ross told him, verbally told him, hey, stop. Told him once or twice, stop. Noah didn't, and Ross decked him. He got him with a good right hook right in the jaw. Uh, and then security stepped in, broke up the fight. There's been some, some consternation on social media of, hey, let these guys have at it. Let them, let them sort it out. But I understand why NASCAR wants to break up a fight like that. Um, Yes, it's good drama. We're going to see a lot of this. Obviously, we're talking about it now, but we're going to see a lot of replays of this between now and, well, probably until the next big thing kicks off, and they're going to get as much money's worth as they can out of it. But at the end of the day, NASCAR can't afford to have any of their drivers, especially a big draw like Ross Chastain, they can't afford to have any of them hurt and miss a race because they were in a fist fight on pit road after a race. So I understand why they broke up the fight. But this is just another example where, a certain driver, in this case it was Noah Gregson, but it has been other drivers in the past, makes a mistake. Ross Chastain happens to be in the vicinity, and then they want to go and blame Ross Chastain. Reference Christopher Bell at Richmond. Reference, now, Kevin Harvick didn't blame Ross Chastain for this, but the, the TV booth sure did, uh, uh, the incident at Atlanta. And there's been other incidents as well. Yes, Ross has been involved in incidents where it was kind of his fault. Brendan Poole last week. Um, may have checked up in front of Ross. Either way, Ross did get into the 15, did spin him out, and did collect Kyle Larson through no fault of his own. That one's on Ross. But for every one incident that's legitimately Ross Chastain's fault, there's probably three or four that get pinned on him where he did nothing wrong. Hard racing is what we pay, pay to watch. You know, we, we pay our cable subscription. We pay for our tickets to the racetrack. We want to see that hard racing. We want to see that competitive spirit. We want to see drivers do what they need to do to win races, and Ross Chastain is that guy. I'm actually surprised he hasn't won more races at this point, but he is the points leader, and it's through that consistent, hard, take-no-crap kind of racing. And that's what I like to see, and I hope we see more of it. I've got no problem with Ross Chastain. I think, like I said, I think he did absolutely nothing wrong. And I think he shouldn't change what he does at all. I like that he does it, and I like that he owns it and makes no real apologies for it. Okay, Jay. Well, I think Mike hit on hit on all the points. Uh, and actually, in Ross's uh, post-race interview, he said, yeah, I ran him up the track. Watching the replay, I didn't even see him move up the track. There was a lane up there, Noah Gregson, 
and I like Noah Gregson. I know Mike's not a big fan of his. I like Noah Gregson. In this case, no. He went up there and tried to go between him and the wall, uh, between Ross Chastain and the wall, and he got the wall, and then came down and, like he said, wanted to blame Ross. Um, not having seen the race yet, I saw the clip on social media. I was a little shocked that Ross is the one that threw the punch, um, but as uh, Mike ex- alluded to there in the interview, it was Noah Gregson came up. They were talking it out. Gregson's the one that reached out and grabbed Ross, pushed him as well as then held on to the driver's suit. The audio came through. Clearly, he was told a couple times. Even Denny Hamlin confirmed that when he was watching it post-race uh, with Bob Pockris. He said, hey, Ross told him to stop. We've seen that before. I believe it was uh, Austin Hill. It's time for you to go. He didn't. <laughs> he left. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, This was uh, another blame it on Ross uh, moment, and Ross had nothing to do with it. He did. He says that he did crowd him a little bit, uh, but I think as soon as he realized he was doing that, he kind of, you know, didn't move up any further and gave him plenty of room. And Noah Gregson just lost it and hit the wall, uh, and then wanted to blame it on Ross. Um, and we've talked about this before. It's getting to the point that uh, if it starts raining, it's got to be Ross's fault. Uh, These guys uh, need to look at the replays before they start making that call, and I think Noah Gregson, I'd like to think that if Noah Gregson watches that replay, he's going to realize just how out of line he really was. Uh, He does say, and Ross said it as well, uh, they see each other every day. They train together. Uh, They know each other really, really well. Uh, And yet, you know, he kind of fell into that uh, blame it on Ross thing. And the thing that bothered me is they showed another video uh, with Chase Elliott saying, well, somebody has to do it. And I'm thinking to myself, why are you goading him on to do it you had your chance to do it, and you did nothing. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't I don't understand that. But I, I do think that he was kind of encouraged by other drivers to go up there and confront Ross Chastain. And he's the rookie. He's the rookie guy. So they got him on this one. Uh, they goaded him into it, and then he went up there and, and uh, confronted Ross Chastain. And Ross did ask him to stop. He said stop. He, he he didn't ask nicely. He just said, stop, stop. He didn't do it rudely either, but he did tell him to stop twice. And uh, if somebody comes up to you and grabs your fire suit and starts shaking their fist at you, uh, at some point, if, you, if you're saying stop, stop, and they don't stop, uh, they're going to, you're going to, you should expect to be hit. And that's what happened. Ross Chastain uh, showed that he's not afraid of a fight. And he, so uh, he didn't knock him down, but he did get a good uh, smack in there. And, boy, you could hear it, too, on the on the video replay. Um, and I don't think anybody's going to mess with Ross Chastain like that again, uh, if there's any chance. Or if they do, they're going to go up there swinging, uh, and they're not going to wait for him to ask them to stop. Um, I, I really do hope 
that uh, Noah Gregson takes a look at that video and sees that uh, he was it was much ado about nothing, and which are most of the complaints about Ross Chastain these days. Um, and I think Denny Hamlin accomplished his goal, if there was a goal, uh, because everybody now is blaming Ross Chastain for everything. But I will say this. Um, Two things, and I know this was brought up by Mike uh, on our chat room. Uh, Christopher Bell, who has blamed Ross Chastain in the past, took accountability for his incident and uh, that took him out of the race and didn't blame Ross for that, thank goodness. Um, and then also, Ross Chastain actually went up to Denny Hamlin after the race and congratulated him on the win. Uh, so possible that these guys uh, may not still be sending Christmas cards necessarily, but Ross Castain is definitely making an effort to mend some of those fences um, and with uh, Denny Hamlin, at least. So I thought uh, there were a couple of really classy moves there, and actually I think Ross Castain handled himself pretty well in that situation. Um, he tried to talk to him. Uh, but when when uh, Noah grabbed him and was shaken and uh, shaken at him and and all of that, well, it was time to ask him to stop or to tell him to stop. And when he didn't, he did what anybody would have done in that same situation. So, Andy, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, really, really echo what's already been said with, from all three of you. Um, I think, you know, for me. Looking at the incident, I, I agree that, you know, it didn't really warrant the, the confrontation. Um, it was close racing. You know, Noah washed up the track and, and Ross got tight, but um, and Noah didn't get fenced by the one car at all, which is what he claimed. But I think, I think Noah was looking for an excuse to start that. I mean, to be honest with you, you know, and I'm in the same category as Mike. I'm not a fan of the kid. I haven't been for years because of his antics year after year. And this is just another example of that from the standpoint of he hasn't had a season worth talking about from a performance standpoint. So what better way to get attention on himself than to go start something like this? And so in my opinion, you know, he used this – hard racing incident as an excuse to go confront Ross because he knew it was going to generate attention. And he probably thought he was being the hero. Let's face it. Half the garage has been mad at Ross for something over the past couple three years. And he probably thought he was going to look good in the, in the eyes of his peers and to also generate attention on, you know, for himself and his team. So I'll give him kudos for that. People probably, you know, are, are going to spend some time, looking up who Noah Gregson is when otherwise his performance has rendered him irrelevant this year. Um, but, you know, and he's a showman too. I mean, that's his persona, which is, you know, it's to entertain people and to, to put, to do some crazy antics at times. And, and that's exactly what he did. He went out there and he, he tried to put on a show post race for an entertainment perspective and ultimately uh, got owned by Ross Chastain and didn't really end that well for him. So I don't know, to me, the whole thing was ridiculous as far as the confrontation goes. 
the the on track incident didn't warrant the confrontation, and Noah got what he had coming to him. You know, I, I, I'm not a huge Ross Chastain fan either. That being said, it's getting really old to see every single incident in which he's even remotely in the same vicinity be his fault. It's getting it's getting tiresome, you know, and it's like, all right, enough's enough. We we get it. Ross Chastain races hard and, and he's the cause for incidents, you know, occasionally on the racetrack. Like we get it, like we don't constantly need everything to be blamed on him and it's it's just getting kind of tiresome from from my perspective. So you know, I'm glad Ross stood his ground. Ross told him to stop like you've already all said, and, and, and Noah didn't stop and, and got popped. So it is what it is. Um, you know, but I, I don't think I don't think the confrontation was warranted. Made for great entertainment after the race, but it was really, in my mind, nothing more than just entertainment. And I think that's why Noah did it in the first place, because he thought that it would somehow either make him look better to his peers or – you know, or, or or what? I don't know. It was just crazy. But I, I will end by saying the race itself was amazing. Like, you wouldn't think so for an intermediate track, but, man, Kansas with that old worn-out surface, just it put on a heck of a show. It was an awesome race. In my mind, one of the best races I've seen in, in maybe years. It was awesome. So it, despite the, the foolishness at the end with that confrontation, like, the race itself was awesome. And at least we have that to – to be thankful for. Okay, Mike, your follow-up. Well, to Andy's point, yeah, Noah's absolutely just trying to get attention to himself because obviously his performance on track isn't doing it. But how are you going to take yourself seriously and, and present some sort of intimidating image with a haircut like that? You walk up <laughs> to a guy looking like simple Jack, and you decide you're going to try and start a fight with him. I don't know if the smile on Ross's face, and Ross had a big grin on his face during this thing. I don't know if the smile on Ross's face was because he was so happy that somebody finally decided that they were going to see what Ross had and they found out, or if he was just laughing at Noah's silly haircut. Either way, uh, Ross had a big old grin on his face, and I don't know if this is going to be the last time somebody decides to confront Ross, but it's probably going to be the last time they have a discussion and let Ross get the first shot in because he's got a pretty good right hook. And now it's two for two track house drivers that, uh, that apparently can throw down pretty good. We saw Ross in action this past week. And don't forget, I think this was about 2018 or so at Phoenix when Daniel Suarez took down Michael McDowell. And McDowell's a pretty big guy. He's, he, for a, a race car driver, McDowell's a big guy. Uh, and Daniel Suarez took him to the ground pretty quickly and easily. So the moral of the story is don't mess with the track house guys. Um, with regard to Chase Elliott kind of poking him and goading it along, it was almost like Kevin Harvick when he shoved Brad Keselowski into Jeff Gordon to cause that big fight at Texas in 2014. It was an ugly scene, and I think it looks bad on Chase Elliott to kind of poke that bear a little bit. But, again, I don't know how much of it was genuine. I really don't like Ross, and I want this guy to go get him versus just Chase Elliott kind of shaking the jar of ants and just wanting to watch him fight. I, I think that might be more the, the thing that's going on here. Um, is this the end of the, the everyone hates Ross Chastain thing? I doubt it. With regard to, to Denny Hamlin and Ross Chastain burying the hatchet, I don't know if we want to talk about it as a separate topic, Sharon, or you want to uh, just roll that in here? Um, you can go ahead and bring it in here. Sure. Um, so I didn't listen to the podcast, but apparently today on Denny's Actions Detrimental podcast, it almost sounds like that, uh, I don't know if they've completely buried the hatchet, but a lot of the beef between Denny and Ross seems to be behind them. Like you mentioned, uh, Ross went and congratulated Denny in victory lane. Um, now, don't forget, 
This was the Advent Health 400. Ross Chastain's primary sponsor for the race and multiple races throughout the season is Advent Health. And Ross's words were, congratulations on winning the Advent Health 400. So there's certainly some sponsor activation going on there as well. But it was a really nice gesture of Ross to go and, and personally congratulate Danny and Victory Lane for, for the win like that. And then again, in that um, post-race media availability, when Denny watched the video, it seemed like Denny sided with Ross Chastain. Whether that was just objective or not, I don't know. But, you know, for a guy who we, – we thought Denny Hamlin might be the first guy to go take a swing at Ross. So for Denny to take the side of Ross against the person who finally ended up taking a swing at him or trying to, it was, it was somewhat of an unexpected change of pace. Um, like you said, I don't expect them to be exchanging Christmas cards, but – you know, the Denny Hamlin versus Ross Chastain, they may not be each other's public enemy number one at this point. Uh, Ross has a long list of enemies, and Denny Hamlin may no longer be at the top of it. We'll have to see how the rest of the season plays out. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Well, this is, this is a situation, and, and I can tell a quick story. We have a local driver that is very similar. Aggressive driver, has caused some problems, made some enemies. Racing one night. Guy next to me is like, caution came out, wreck on the track. And he's like, man, it was this darn driver's. And I don't want to say the names because some of them may be listening. But uh, he said, that darn driver caused that wreck again. I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, hey, that dude's been off the track for three laps with a broke car. He did not <laughs> cause that accident on the track. Oh, I didn't know he had pulled off. You know, has Ross caused some things? Yes, he has. Was he the cause of this one? No, absolutely not. Um, like I said, I feel like Ross took even more responsibility. I think Sharon said it too. Of he yeah, crowded him up. I was like, I didn't even see him move up. Noah chose to go up and the outside of him and got into the wall. Um, the one thing I didn't, since Mike put his little conspiracy of why Ross went to uh, Victory Lane, there is one possibility of why Noah went over there. It is Ross's fault because he drives for Chevrolet and Trackhouse Racing and thus Legacy Motorsports can't get Chevrolet support, so they are now going to Toyota. So Noah was representing that we don't need you in Chevrolet. We're going to Toyota. (laughs) Okay. That's a little bit of a stretch, I think. But uh, (laughs) I do think that... Most conspiracy uh, theories are... Yeah, I do think that that uh, Noah Gregson was egged on, uh, and I think it had a lot to do with him being a rookie. Um, it's possible, and we know that Noah Gregson has done this before, so I think Andy makes a good point as well. It is also possible uh, that he was looking for an opportunity and thought that might be his best opportunity to call some attention to himself. So everybody knows now that Noah Gregson is racing in the NASCAR Cup Series uh, with the big dogs, but he ended up finishing, what, 29th, and Ross Chastain was in the top five. So there's a big difference there in how they finished. And Ross had nothing to do with how Noah Gregson ended up finishing that race. So um, I I do think that – both of those guys have a little bit of reputations uh, that they need to kind of uh, work on. And I do think that Ross is trying to work on his a little bit. <laughs> and when Denny Hamlin, I think what happened with that video 
is somebody in the media center uh, mentioned the scuffle between uh, Nor Gregson and Ross Chastain, and Denny didn't know anything about it. So Bob Pachras showed him the video, and when he looked at it, he says he did tell him to stop. <laughs> so, you know, he, he recognized that uh, Ross Chastain gave him two chances to stop uh, with touching uh, and uh, the holding on to his fire suit and everything and running his mouth, and uh, he didn't stop, and so he deserved what he got. Um, but I will say this. I would rather see the drivers handle it uh, off the track uh, preferably with a discussion and not with their fists. But I would rather see them do that than to handle it uh, with their race cars. And so to Noah Gregson's uh, defense side of this, I will say that one of the comments he made I thought was a really good comment, and he said he wanted to respect the hard work of the folks at Trackhouse Racing in preparing those cars, and he didn't want to do anything to damage the car. So thank you for that. I think that that is a step in the right direction uh, for how these things need to be handled uh, off the track and not on the track with the, with the car. So I will give uh, kudos to Nor Gregson for that. Andy. Uh, yeah, to, to speak specifically about the, the Hamlin Chastain uh, mending of the fences, if you will, that, that to me is intriguing. Um, that's a, a feud that I wasn't sure would ever subside. You know, even up until recently, Hamlin's had a pretty big issue with Chastain, but, you know, it's it's in, I think, both of their best interests to put that behind them. You know, uh, from Ross's standpoint, um, you know, I, I think that not making everybody mad at you on the track every week is probably more beneficial to him and his team to try to, you know, go out there and compete for a championship. If you have too many enemies, especially a high-profile enemy like Denny Hamlin, uh, that could be a detriment come postseason time. And, uh, you know, from Hamlin's standpoint, you know, when you've got a guy like Ross that's in your head all the time, you know, that can prevent you from winning a championship. So I think, honestly, you know, it's probably for the best that, that both of them can can put this behind them and they can go about focusing on, on trying to win races because I feel like these these high-profile feuds like this has become can be very distracting. So, uh, But it is interesting. It's, it's not something I thought would subside anytime soon, and it may flare up again should something else happen, but... Um, definitely an interesting development and not something I thought would ever happen anytime soon. But, um, yeah, definitely an interesting weekend, to say the least. Yeah, those are good points, Andy. Okay, we're going to go ahead and move on to the next hot topic here. Uh, And before we do that, Mike, if you don't mind, I'd like to go ahead and do the announcement now so that we can go through an, an uninterrupted uh, here with uh, this next hot topic. Um, we're, we're speaking directly to those people that are listening for the first time. We're going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, even though we're going to continue the conversation and you're going to hear us go off the air uh, mid-sentence, but we are continuing to record 
uh, the rest of the conversation, and that will be part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. I'll go out on Twitter as well as Facebook to let you know that the podcast is available, and then you can go to the podcast player at fanforacing.com right away or at your convenience uh, and just fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. Again, we don't want anybody to be taken by surprise or caught off guard uh, with us uh, going off air while we're talking, uh, and we wanted you to know how you can hear the rest of that conversation. So with that, Mike, what's our next hot topic? I wish I had grabbed this and posted in our group because I'm furiously trying to find the source here. But the, uh, the discussion is Chase Elliott and his current path to the playoffs. I talked about when he came back, he was entering a very good four-race stretch. He came back at Martinsville where he has a win. Uh, Talladega with two wins, Dover with two wins, and Kansas with one win. He has now gone winless at all four of those races. Is this a cause for concern with Elliott? He does have a, a points pathway to get into the championship. He, based on current points total averages for, for the drivers right now, it sounds like Elliott needs to get about 27 points per race in order to, uh, to pass his way up into that 16th position, but that's assuming that there's not a winner from below the, the, the bottom 16 cut line. So is it time for the nine team to start getting concerned, or is it not? Okay, Jay. Jay, are you on mute? Okay, let me see what happened to Jay. Jay had to call back in. Okay, Jay. <laughs> I would, man, I was panicking to get back in here before that cut line there at 30. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why it's done at 12, but uh, I caught the tail end there of Mike's concern as far as Chase Elliott. I mentioned this earlier in the show when we were doing the uh, review and had a little extra time. Larry McReynolds keeps talking about, uh, and I don't know what number Mike just threw out, um, with the points per race that Chase Elliott has to make up. He's getting top 10 finishes. Um, So that is a possibility. I don't know that they need to, as we like to say, hit the panic button or go into a must-win situation at all costs yet. But I don't know that you want to also rely on just getting top 10, especially that's just to get into the playoffs. You want to be getting these stage wins, the victories, and building up your bonus points, and they know how valuable they are. I think, Mike, you hit on this uh, a while back when we talked about no matter what when he comes back of how getting into the playoffs and holding in the playoffs. Last year, Chase Elliott had to rely on the bonus points he had built up every round of the playoffs. So they knew how valuable those are, and they'll carry them through the playoffs And if they had a bad race or two in those three-race stretches. So I think they do need to work on that or have a little concern getting stage points, um, if not the stage wins, as well as at least getting one victory, guaranteeing them in, and then, again, that's five extra points. Um, to work on that because these guys that are running up front, sitting in the top in points, they're all building their playoff bucket points, as Larry McReynolds calls it. They need to at least focus on that and not just top tens and then see if they slide in on points. Okay, Andy. Um, oh. Yeah, sorry, I was on mute. Um, 
absolutely no cause for concern whatsoever. Here's why. Road courses, many of them upcoming. We know how good he is on the road courses. I would be very surprised if he went completely winless this year. On the road courses, there's plenty of them before the playoffs. I think he's going to be just fine. I think he's done pretty well given the injury. I mean, he hasn't been great every week, but he's he's been pretty competitive since he came back, and I think that that in, in itself is, is a win. So, no, I'm not concerned at all. I, I really would be – I would be far more surprised if he didn't make the playoffs than I would be for him to win a, 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 at least a road course race. I'm not expecting that, you know, he'll win – anywhere else and he may i mean we know how good hendrick motorsport is we know how good chevrolet is this year so uh he could very well win anywhere but uh for sure road courses i i think you have to consider that the nine will be a factor for for at least one or two wins before the playoffs so yeah i'm not even remotely worried about it yeah i i understand where people are getting concerned about it but i i kind of agree with andy I don't think, unless something goes unforeseen bad uh, for Chase Elliott at a road course or any of the other tracks that are coming up that we know he's good at, uh, I think Chase Elliott is going to be fine and will make it into uh, the playoffs. Right now, just to put this into perspective, he is 29th in the series point standings. He has no wins. He only has the one playoff point for one stage win. Um, and he's just ahead of Austin Dillon, who, by the way, has negative playoff points uh, because of his penalty. Uh, so he needs to get a win. Uh, he can be anywhere. It doesn't have to be the top 30 or the top 20. Uh, but Chase Elliott has had con- some consistent runs, and for all the reasons that Andy said, uh, I think we can expect that Chase Elliott will get a win unless this is just a really uh, somehow an off season for Chase Elliott. Uh, I don't see that happening, but uh, I, I do think that he will get a win before it's all said and done and qualify himself into the playoffs. Where it could get a little bit sticky for him, and we talked, we alluded to this a little bit earlier as well, in 12 races, so far this season, there are nine different winners. Uh, if there are 16 winners and he's still below that cut line, uh, which is the 16th spot, uh, that could create a problem for, for Chase Elliott if there are more than 16 winners. And he could potentially uh, be out uh, based on his points, even though he's got the one win. But uh, I don't really think that that's going to be an issue either uh it's just a potential possibility uh if there are uh more winners we're going to reach the halfway point at darlington the 13th race of the season so half of the season will be in the books and then we've got the next half of the season uh nine winners in the first half in 12 races uh nine winners in the second half uh, that's 18 winners. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. 
in that second half of the season. So uh, that's the only reason I bring that up as a potential possibility that could create a problem for Chase Elliott. So he's got to be looking for some of those uh, playoff points with wins and more of those uh, stage wins as well. Mike? So I'm kind of a numbers guy, right? So on a scale of 1 to 10 here, with 1 being go take a nap and 10 being mash the panic button down lower than Jay's fantasy points, I would say the 19 probably has to be somewhere around a 4 right now. They had this stretch of races that was really advantageous for them as far as their uh, historical performance is concerned. And they came out of it decently, several top tens. But the big takeaway, and Sharon, you alluded to it, only one stage point with the one stage win at Talladega. I think that was an opportunity they may have let slip through their fingers where even if they didn't get the race win, they missed an opportunity to get a few of those playoff points that are going to be so important going forward. Well, even if he wins a race, it's very unlikely that he's going to get any of the regular season bonus points for finishing in the upper positions of points during the regular season. That means that the only playoff points that the nine team is likely to get for the duration of the season will be the ones that they accumulate via stage wins and race wins. So missing that opportunity to put stage points in the bank at tracks that tend to be very, very favorable for the nine team is a bit of a concern. I'm with you guys. It's not time to panic yet, but it's, it's definitely – a little bit of a concern here. But looking at the upcoming stretch of races, Darlington this weekend, they've run well there. He's never won. He does have the one win at Charlotte in 2020. But I've got to say that out of all the races coming up here through kind of the middle of summer, even more than Sonoma, the road course, I would say Nashville and Atlanta are probably the two tracks that that nine team's got to have circled. He won that Nashville race last year and won the second Atlanta race uh, last year as well. Those, so those are two races where he's the defending winner and tends to run very well at those style of racetracks. Those are probably the two best opportunities I would say the nine team has coming in the next two, two months or so to get that win in the bank and take a little bit of this playoff pressure off. But it's, this is not the typical season where if you get that win and you're in, the pressure really alleviates because of the deep hole that they're in with regard to playoff points. If he, get, if he gets a win and he's into the playoffs, he's going to have no less than six playoff points, assuming they don't get a penalty. But that's probably going to put him in the back half of the playoff field in terms of accumulated playoff points, just based on the historical precedent of where the, the playoff field has been set over the past few years since playoff points have become a thing. So would six or eight playoff points be enough to make a deep playoff run? Probably not, unless the nine team gets really hot again like they did in 2020. 2022, last year, it was the exact opposite. They were hot during the regular season, but very, very slow during the playoffs. And the only reason they made it to Phoenix was because of that huge cushion of playoff points that they accumulated. They will most likely not have that this year. So to make a legitimate championship run for 2023, that nine team not only needs to win a race during the regular season, but they need to stay hot through the playoffs in order to prevent themselves from being eliminated because of the deficit in playoff points they're most likely to have. And that's kind of my cause for concern with them right now. Okay. Jay, your follow-up? Well, rather than use numbers like Mike was, uh, so we don't have to talk about my lack of fantasy points, I'm going to go with Race Hub's uh, concern meter. Stars in green of no concern. Yellow is getting a little worried or keeping an eye on it. And then red is the panic. And Mike said four, I'd say four or five. Somewhere in there, there is some concern. Uh, I understand we expect Chase Elliott to win races but we expect other drivers to as well that haven't. 
Martin Truex just broke uh, a long winless streak. I don't have the number. Danny Hamlin's was a long winless streak. Those are two drivers we expected to win since their last win. Chase Elliott would be no different. The good news is his teammates are running well, so he should be running well as, as running good as well. Um, the problem there is that means you've got to run against them. You guys are banking on road courses. Who have been the other drivers, though, that have been good on road courses? Kyle Larson, Alex Bowman, William Byron. Then you throw in the others that aren't their, his teammates, Ross Jastain. And uh, I was going to throw another one out there. Uh, Christopher right. Bell and Austin Sindrick. Chase isn't the lock-in that we've seen over a couple of years as far as when it comes to road courses. Uh, that's kind of gone away. He's got to fight for it. So the, oh, he'll get a win, I'm not sure I see that, uh, of not as confident as, and then as Sharon alluded, okay, we get the win, you get the win, but now we have 16 winners. Where's he rank as far as that bottom winner that a winner may not get in? Um, when we talked about that as we wrapped up our uh, preview, or review portion, that would be my biggest concern of even getting the win as the wins pile up and we get closer to that 16 possible of 16 or more winners. Okay, Andy, your follow-up? I think uh, since we're talking the uh, the numbers meter here, I'm at zero. Take that nap. Rest easy. Um, <laughs> when, when Elliot does get that win, and he will, we'll revisit this hot topic, and the hot topic will read... Mike Orzel can now sleep at night as his stress has been reduced. So, yeah, I think everything's going to be just fine. We'll, and I, uh, I look forward to when he does win a race so that we can, we can uh, say, I told you so, because it will happen. It'll probably be at Sonoma. If not Sonoma, there's uh, the Indianapolis Road Course. There's Watkins Glen. There's the Chicago Street Course uh, as well. So plenty of opportunities for um, – the road course master to get the job done, which he will. And he only has to win one. That's it. And stay, uh, what is it? Top 35 in points, I believe this year. So no, it doesn't matter where fine. you are. Well, there you go. Yeah. So yeah, he'll be, he'll be just fine. I think that Mike, you'll be able to sleep soon. I promise buddy. It'll be okay. <laughs> well, and, and Andy, I'm right there with you. I think based on history, uh, we know that Ross, that uh, Chase Elliott is capable of winning at a lot of different tracks, not just the road courses, but a lot of different tracks uh, that he could potentially get a win. Uh, but this isn't a typical year for, for uh, Chase Elliott. This is a little bit different year, and the weakness are those playoff points and those stage wins. Uh, so that's where I think the vulnerability for him lies. Even if he gets one win, if there is another nine winners in the second half of this 26-race stretch, uh, that's 18 different winners, and he could very well find himself on the outside looking in, even with one win. Uh, And it's because he does not have the playoff points uh, to kind of boost him uh, and and keep him up in the point standings. So right now he's 29th in the series point standings. Uh, 
theoretically, you can be anywhere in the point standings. As long as you've got a win, you can get in. But that's assuming that there are fewer than 16 winners. Uh, and I think the potential is there. Uh, with nine winners in the first half of this season, uh, I think we could see the potential for nine new winners again in the second half. So um, I think that that's where his rub is going to come in. That one win may not be enough. He might need to get more than one win uh, to put him into the playoffs this year. And it's an atypical year for him. It's not a normal year. Uh, But he's been up there. To to your point, though, Andy, he has been up there running top ten. Uh, but he's got to do better than that. He's got to do better than running top tens. He's got to he's got to be up there contending for those wins. And he's got some heavy competition uh, for those wins uh, because there's several other drivers that want to get that win to get into the playoffs. Uh, and with these cars being as equal as they are, I think there is more chance uh, to be caught up in something that uh, uh, who was it? Uh, that, uh, you know, is just riding along, minding their own business, and they get taken out of the race. Uh, That could happen to uh, Chase Elliott as easily as it could happen to whoever that was, and it's just eluding my brain for the minute. But um, that he he does need to be concerned about that, and he does need to start racking up those playoff points if he wants to give himself a chance. Mike? So, could nine more winners happen? Sure. Yeah. Obviously, there's nine more. There's more than nine available cars on the track. Will nine winners happen? I'm going to say almost certainly no. Um, this is not like we had last year, where you had a lot more cars that are showing the potential of winning races. I would say that the, there are certainly cars that have not won a race yet that are likely to. Uh, I would say both track house cars have a very high likelihood of winning a race. They have not yet won a race this year. Uh, Ryan Blaney, most likely, or at least high likelihood. Uh, Chris Buescher, possibly, same with Brad Keselowski, Alex Bowman as well. But then you get outside that top 16 of points, and it really, really drops off in terms of likelihood of winning. The next four outside of the playoff cutoff is Chase Briscoe, Bubba Wallace, Ty Gibbs, and Michael McDowell. All four of those potentially could maybe win a race, and every once in a while, especially Bubba Wallace, will show race-winning potential, but I really don't feel like they're knocking on the door like they were last year. And then you get further down from there, Eric Jones last year, was he had that strong knocking-on-the-door feeling that I'm really not getting from him this year. I would say probably the, the biggest threat outside of the top 16 in points right now might be Austin Dillon, and that's only based on the historical precedent where that three-team tends to pull a rabbit out of their hat and they somehow end up winning a race at some point during the season. But other than that historical precedent, the three-car hasn't really been showing the speed that says, that, oh, yeah, it's only a matter of time. I don't know that it's a matter of time really for anybody outside of the top 16, and I think that does play into the nine teams' favor. Uh, step one is to win a race for them, obviously. But after that, they need to keep the pressure on and keep the heat going uh, because they can't just win that race and sit back and, and coast. I don't think there's going to be nine winners, but even with a win, I don't think it's going to be easy selling for the nine team for the rest of the season. Okay. Uh, that's barring any surprise wins that could happen as well. Okay. Um, yeah? Um, if Chase Elliott doesn't make the playoffs or doesn't win a race, it will be Ross Chastain's fault. That's breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking news, Ross Chastain is the reason for why Chase Elliott does not make it into the playoffs. 
<laughs> oh, I love it, Andy. Okay. Uh, Jay, I think you are going to be last up. Is this the time that you want to bring up your thing? No, uh, that one will be a real quick one. I, I wanted to bring up a different one here uh, first. We got Ryan okay. Newman coming back to the Cup Series with select races with RWR, which is Rick Ware Racing. And I'd like to hear from Mr. Positivity eventually. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to start with Andy. <laughs> All right. I'm not going to be too negative about this. Uh, for one thing, it's nice to see Ryan back in the cup car. Um, I get the feeling he's doing this on his own terms, wanting to come back and run some cup races. I wouldn't think there are high expectations here. It is Rick Weir racing. We know where there's been running. I think the idea is that Ryan can come in and utilize his experience, which is, you know, race winning experience all these years to try to help that team. I think that's the goal here. I don't think they intend to come in and set the earth, the world on fire. I think it's a matter of Ryan simply coming in, having some fun, running some races, and, and trying to help that team get better. Um, so good to see him back. You know, I mean, I, you know, I think he's going to run a handful of races. I, I saw the other day, um, I think Darlington's his first race. That'll be this weekend, and he'll run some others throughout the year. Uh, good to see him back. You know, he's kind of – doing a diverse schedule i think maybe running some modified races uh he'll run some srx races and of course these these few cup races so uh good to see him back i think he's just out here to have some fun and help the team grow and get better and that's really all there is to it are they going to go out and and win i who knows i i wouldn't think so but you never can tell what can happen so i think the the big thing here is he's just going to come out and, and uh have some fun really and and First and foremost, it's just nice to see him back at the racetrack. Okay. Uh, we've enjoyed the shower of positivity. Is it still there, Mike? I will start with the positive stuff. The positive thing, like Andy <laughs> said, it's good to see Ryan Newman back at the racetrack. And the other positive thing is he absolutely showed last summer when he was racing SRX. He's definitely got something left in the tank. The other problem, though, is reality. And there's a couple things in reality that are not working in Ryan Newman's favor. Like Andy said, he's going to be in a Rick Ware racing car, which is even with an experienced veteran in the car, I don't expect things to, to suddenly turn around for Rick Ware racing. I don't think it's going to be that much of a change. Uh, the cars are slow, and I don't think they're going to be a whole lot faster with Ryan Newman behind the wheel. And the other thing is Ryan Newman has been out of the Cup Series for over a year. Look at how much time or how much drop-off there is, even with experienced drivers not very far removed from the car, how much of a drop-off there is in terms of performance. Reference Jeff Gordon subbing for Dale Earnhardt Jr. less than a year after Gordon retired after racing for a championship in 2015. He ran mid-pack in the 88 car. Look at Matt Kenseth subbing in for Kyle Larson in the 42 car. Granted, the 42 wasn't necessarily a race-winning car, but it was a contender, but Matt Kenseth wasn't. So, Ryan Newman being removed from the sport for over a year, after not being particularly great, he got one win in the 31 in 2015 at Phoenix. No, zero wins in the six. Occasionally in contention in the six, but not really a, a weekly threat in the six. Um, it's good to see him back. I'm, I'm not going to hold that against him, but I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to start picking him for fantasy. I'll put it that way. Okay. 
yeah, I agree with you guys. It's really great to see Ryan Newman coming back in. I know he's going to make it difficult for all the drivers on the track to be able to pass him if he has anything to say about it. Uh, and uh, it's going to make the racing interesting with Ryan Newman back on the track. Uh, however, I, I do have to agree with Mike. He's going to be in Rick Ware racing equipment. Um, he's driving the uh, next-gen car, uh, which he hasn't driven yet. Uh, so there's going to be a learning curve there. And just like uh, we mentioned at the beginning uh, with this next-gen car, uh, the newer drivers uh, were going to have less of an adaptability uh, issue than those that are the veterans that have old habits that they have to change in order to adapt to the new car. Uh, Ryan Newman is coming in cold uh, to drive a Rick Ware racing equipment, and uh, it's, it's not going to be as easy as it sounds. Uh, one thing that Ryan Newman has in his favor is his education. He's, he's educated as an engineer, so his mind thinks along those terms. So I think he has a lot to offer to an organization like Rick Ware Racing. Uh, but just like uh, any time you take a test, you got to know what you're talking about to be able to answer all the questions and to be able to offer anything. So he's going to have to spend some time in that race car uh, before he's going to be able to offer um, information back to Rick Ware Racing and before he's going to be really, I think, contending uh, for any wins. <laughs> Um, uh, so, yeah, I wouldn't expect him to be uh, contending for wins. I would expect him to be out there trying to learn everything he can about the car so that he can then offer uh, some kind of feedback to that organization that can help the organization become a better uh, race team. So I think it's a good thing um, to have Ryan Newman back on the track, uh, and uh, I think he'll certainly make it interesting. Jay, what are your thoughts? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoulder all the positivity here, I guess. Y'all <laughs> agree, it's great to see Ryan Newman back in the Cup Series. Uh, nobody wants to see a driver leave not under their own terms, and I don't believe Ryan Newman did. So that is great. Uh, I want to compare. We talked about Jimmy Johnson coming to Legacy Motorsports. Are they gonna go out and win races? No. It's a building process. They're moving to Toyota. It's a building process. Rick Ware, a few weeks back, and I try I didn't catch the date there, hired Tommy Baldwin as their competition director. Now they have a veteran driver like Ryan Newman. They are putting pieces in places to build. Am I betting on him to go out and win a race? Absolutely not. I'm saying be positive, not unrealistic. Okay? Uh, I compared it to Lincoln Motorsports. They were at a higher level. They're going to win races before Rick Ware Racing does. The other positive thing is we don't want to see any teams out there that aren't competitive and back markers are just, we don't call them start parks no more, but really not competitive. They are taking steps to move in that direction. And that's where I see just look at any team, the building process is happening. When are we going to see the results? I don't know if it'll be this year. You're right. There's There are some uh, drawbacks to it or it's hurdles they got to overcome. Um, we mentioned Ryan Newman not being in this next-gen car, which I think is part of why he wants to come back having not driven it. We've heard several drivers, uh, Clint Boyer, or not Clint Boyer, uh, Tony Stewart, 
a couple of them talk about that and just being that next gen car to see what it's like. So I think that's part of it. Uh, he has a lot. Sharon, you mentioned the engineering side to offer to a team. I just I think there's a lot of things that pieces that they're putting in place. And we talked about that. At, we Grant Inver talked about it, getting all the little pieces in the right place and, and working together in the building process. I think we're seeing it happen at Rick Ware Racing. Okay, Andy, your follow-up. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I I think the key is that, you know, putting a veteran driver like that in, in your car can only help. So I, I think that, you know, he will probably help elevate that program to some degree. I'm not expecting a ton, but, you know, I think that his experience alone and his expertise will, will help that team grow versus perhaps some of the drivers they've, they've had in their cars in recent times. So uh, it can only be a good thing, I, I feel like. And, you know, I think that it's just, it's just um, you know, good to see him come back and, and run some races that, uh, you know, I'm not sure if he picked him or the team picked him, but nonetheless, it'll, you know, to come in and run a limited schedule, you know, will be a good thing, I think, for both he and the team. So, Ultimately, I don't see anything other than, than this being a, uh, a positive move for both parties. Okay, Mike? Sorry, fumbling with the mute button. Uh, Jay brings up an interesting point about building a team. Uh, bringing Tommy Baldwin in, definitely a big step for Rick Ware. We've talked about them over the past few years of how serious is Rick Ware racing about winning races. Um, they've been a back marker since long before the Gen 7 car, all the way back, you know, through the Gen 6 era, uh, Rick Ware Racing has really never been a competitive team, and there's been real questions about do they care about being a competitive team, or are they only in it for the franchise money? Um, maybe, just maybe, they are trying to take steps in order to build a team to be more than just that backmark organization, the, the franchise holding company, however you want to look at it, and maybe Ryan Newman is the step in order to move in that direction. Now, Ryan Newman is not the driver you're going to build a team like that around. He is the guy, kind of like what Sharon said, where he's bringing in the experience, the expertise, the engineering background, all that stuff that he brings to the table isn't necessarily to turn Ryan Newman into a future Cup Series champion. I think that ship has sailed for him. But he may be the guy who can build a team that they can hand that car over to a new driver whether it's be a driver that they get from another team or a current Xfinity series driver, somebody like that, a new driver who gets a organization that is built up much better than it currently is. And they are able to take that step with the help of Ryan Newman uh, that he provides this year. And into the 2024 season, Rick Ware racing becomes a more competitive organization. I've said it many times where I'm all for having as many competitive potential race winning cars on the racetrack as possible. Rising tide lifts all boats. So if we can get Rick Ware Racing to the point where they're another a win-contending, championship-contending team, that's great for the sport. People like watching racing, and they like not knowing who the winner is going to be every week. So if we have another team that's knocking on the door potentially winning races, I think that's good for the sport. So hopefully Ryan Newman is the guy to not necessarily build a championship team for himself, but build a championship team for the sport where in the next two to three to five years – Rick Ware Racing is able to be a race winner, uh, championship contending kind of uh, kind of a team. So hopefully that's the direction they're moving. Okay, I'll be the one to kind of mention this then. Um, let's keep in mind why there's an open seat at Rick Ware Racing. Uh, Cody Ware 
uh, had some issues come up in his life, and, and he's off the track. He's not racing right now, and so that seat is open. Uh, that's when they decided maybe this is a good time uh, for us to bring in Tommy Baldwin Jr. Uh, and start doing some of these things uh, in order to elevate our team. So, you know, you got to wonder if maybe um, had that not happened, I wonder if they would be making those same moves. Um, and and uh, that probably so. But we don't know that because all of these changes happened after that incident. So I, I do think that it's taking advantage of a really good opportunity, bring in some new people, bring in some new blood. Let's get some ideas on how we can elevate our organization. Uh, they do have a charter, and their charter has some value to it because a lot of people would like for them to, to – uh, put it up for sale, but I think Rick Ware Wasting is saying, listen, we're in this for the long haul. We do want to elevate our team. We're taking advantage of this opportunity uh, to really make some things happen. And so I think these are all good steps uh, because I do think you're right. They're not going to build the team around Ryan Newman. Ryan T- Newman is there to help build the team for somebody up and coming uh, to be able to take that seat and have an opportunity to attract other drivers with more talent maybe to be in that car and to be up there winning. Uh, that's a win-win all the way around. And uh, I think it, it is a good thing. Um, but it's going to take time. It's not something that he's going to jump in the car and be able to offer that feedback right away. He's got to kind of learn uh, the car before he can do that. So just setting some realistic expectations here for us as fans uh, of what to expect uh, from Ryan Newman taking those seats. And keep in mind, he's not jumping in the car for for a period of time. He's doing one-off races uh, over a period of time. So that's even going to be more of a challenge, I think. And I don't know if he's going to be involved behind the scenes, uh, but I think I would like to think that maybe he will be, even if he's not in the seat, uh, be involved with behind the scenes and getting feedback and, and helping that organization. Jay, you get the final word here. May seventh, two 2011. Furniture Row Racing, a single-car team with a driver of Regan Smith, who wasn't considered a top driver, won a race. They became a championship team later on, being the first-ever single-car team to make the chase for the Sprint Cup in 2013, at that time with Bush. It's a process. They're building. That's what I like to see. And I'm happy to have Ryan Newman back at the Okay. Okay, Jay. Uh, We're at 10 o'clock now, so we need your quick hit here. All right. uh, For hopefully everybody's watched the video. It is a video from the truck race. Uh, During the final five laps, I believe it was, they showed the crew chief, Jimmy Hensley, on the pit box. While they were discussing it on national television, the crew chief reprimanded some people behind him that were cheering on the driver. So just wait, don't celebrate yet, it's not over. Uh, just quick, did everybody watch it? I'll make this really quick, but I had to do it. Um, the one in the blue shirt. 
Does anybody know who that is? And Sharon, you okay. have to go last because I think you I think you might. <laughs> um, Mike, do you know who the guy in the blue shirt is? No clue. Andy. No, I I only focused in on the crew chief. I I didn't actually really look to see who was behind him. Okay, I'm trying to see the guy in the blue shirt because I didn't really look at him that close. Um, Kevin Harvick. Okay, go ahead, Sharon. No, go ahead. I can't see the guy in the blue shirt yet. Kevin, well, you alluded to it earlier. Kevin Harvick and Michael Waltrip agreed and said that was wrong and they, they should settle down. One of our own fan for racing fan, team members has been officially talked about by Kevin Harvick and Michael Waltrip on national tev- television. That's where Brian Eberly was, was on Grant Enfinger's pit box. Oh. He is the one that got reprimanded. <laughs> oh, he got reprimanded? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that is that is him in the blue shirt. That was one of them that was clapping and cheering on, yes. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't pay that much attention to it. But, yeah, if I, if I had time to look at that again and see it, I would have recognized Brian for sure. Well, and that's, what, that's why I thought you might know uh, the, fact, the fact that you had said you had seen he had bought a watermelon for a Chastain victory. I was like, he was actually there with the uh, Grant Enfinger team with the uh, champions. On um, truck series, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> okay. So that's 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 that. Yeah, I was man. I was just I was like I watched it and it, I knew, I knew that he was at the track and sent some other pictures, but uh, the fact well, that uh, I know clearly, he wasn't there he's, representing fan for racing, but um, he's clearly he was there. He's and the fact that he got talked on national television. It's clearly oh, cheating he, in our fantasy pool. I'm I'm, ta- I'm I'm taking my role as the final appeals officer here, and I'm reinstating the penalty. That's cheating. <laughs> no, that's already been decided. The, you can't. You, I already I had yeah. already picked uh, Grant Infinger. <laughs> I don't think Brian picked Grant Infinger. No, but he went with Kyle Busch. He went with Kyle Busch. Right. Okay, so that was. <laughs> Brian Everly. Too funny. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and do our roundtable. And uh, Mike, we'll start with you. All right. It's going to be Mike underscore Rizzo on Twitter. Mike double underscore O on Reddit for all my exceedingly positive takes uh, on all things racing. Ladies and gentlemen, they have arrived. What are they that I'm referring to? My tickets for North Wilkesboro Speedway. If you've gone to a NASCAR race lately, you see that most hard paper tickets have gone away. Sure, you can print out your electronic voucher, but most of the time, having it on your phone is good enough. Not North Wilkesboro Speedway. They, ladies and gentlemen, they sent me real, honest-to-goodness tickets, old-school paper tickets for an old-school race. I've got a little bit over, or a little bit less now than two weeks until I go to North Wilkesboro, and you're not, this is not the last time you're going to hear about me bragging about it. Oh, Mike, did you see that they're doing an open house? On Wednesday, I think it is. I did. I'm not going to be able to make it to that. I've got to work this week. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to be in the area until the Thursday evening prior to the racing. 
Oh, okay. Because I thought that might be a great story. <laughs> but anyway, uh, just a thought. Uh, Andy. CB14 fan on Twitter, and uh, it's always good to be back on tonight. To be determined on Thursday, that will, of course, be dependent on work. We'll see what happens, but we'll hope to be back. We'll keep our fingers crossed for both you and Mike and uh, Jay. You can follow me on social media, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And just maybe Mike got some positivity from somebody that left a love note on his car at Market Street Festival uh, throughout the weekend where we were. I didn't get to see him, but I saw the car. <laughs> and you left him a note? I left him a note of love, yes. Yeah, you should have <laughs> taken the car I, for a spin. I haven't even seen the car it, yet. I've been, I, I dropped it off with a friend of mine. It's been over at his shop. Um, did you leave it on paper, or did you just write it in the dirt that I didn't even wash off of it when I took it over there? <laughs> no, it's it's on with your registration sheet. I, and by the way, Andy, the doors were locked. I couldn't get in it. Oh, that's a bummer. I was going to say, you should have put, uh, like, Mike Orzel loves Noah Gregson on the car or something like that. That would have been awesome. Uh, I thought you were going to say out to lunch. That's just gone. dirty. That would work, too. <laughs> um, okay, so, okay, this is quite a group. You make me laugh. All right, uh, I am Banff Racing site on Twitter and Banff Racing blog and radio uh, everywhere else, in, uh, including Facebook and our website, com. And uh, we played, actually, we advertised that we were going to play the media interview uh, from Grant Infinger, but we also played uh, the media interview uh, five minutes or just over five minutes from Jesse Love and his second ARCA victory as well during the uh, second half hour of the show here tonight. So both of them gave uh, good interviews, and I'd encourage everybody to go back and take a listen to that. And then uh, Jay and my thoughts about those comments uh, afterwards. So uh, anyway, uh, we'll look forward uh, to doing our preview show again on Thursday night as we preview the upcoming races at Darlington Raceway, a weekend that I think we all look forward to every year with the throwback schemes and uh, all the fun things that they do at Darlington. Uh, And we know how hard that track is. There's a reason they call it the Lady in Black. So Mike and I will be back at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time here at Bamper Racing Radio Network for our preview show on Thursday. And... uh, uh, Jay, thank you so much for standing in for Salsa Gala tonight for the review show of the races out of Kansas. We really appreciate it. And I know, Andy, you did it last week, uh, and I really do appreciate that. I haven't heard from Jay or Sal, uh, but I'm hoping he'll be back on Monday. So stay tuned. I may be uh, tapping you guys on the shoulder again. So um, at any rate, we also want to put a big thank you out to our listeners as well. We do appreciate you taking the time to hear what we have to say. We hope you enjoy the uh, uh, shows that we put on here uh, as much as we enjoy doing them. So with that, guys, I think we're ready to call it a night, and uh, we'll look forward to Thursday. Good night, everybody. Have a good night, guys. I'm looking forward to it, yes. Good night, everybody. <laughs>